When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. It's hard to imagine the days before Robert Downey Jr. graced the silver screen once again. No, I'm not talking about his villainous role in uh, Tim Allen's The Shaggy Dog. I'm talking about 2008's Iron Man film that didn't just jumpstart a franchise it it jumpstarted and became the baby daddy to a whole cinematic universe and not one aspect of pop culture has been unaffected by that character but was iron man always as invincible in our hearts as he was before rdj made him iron man ah kind of a give and take But today we're going to go ahead and jump into the moment that made me an Iron Man fan and really is the base level groundwork for what started the MCU in terms of the Armored Avenger getting his 21st century reboot. But we can't do that without the man, the myth, the legend, the miraculous Mr. Mark Clare. Mark, how is life? Life is great, Remzo, and I'd like to start off by addressing that I am in no way shocked or surprised or dismayed that you have seen The Shaggy Dog uh, with Tim Allen. I didn't even know that movie existed, but uh, that's that, that's Remzo for you. Remzo has seen them all probably three times, especially if it's really bad. Then he might have seen it four times. I have no life. <laughs> that's not what I was saying. It's just that's you what know, you said. Take what Say you want it. to take from Own it. it. Just take it. <laughs> just take it. I've watched both. I've watched uh, the first two episodes of WandaVision twice, so I- I'm starting to get a little Remzo in me uh, doing the instant rewatches. There's a difference, though. WandaVision was good, and it was 30 minutes long each, so a lot, <laughs> lot easier to, to pound through. Which, by the way, even even I listened to your Patreon exclusive WandaVision recaps. Did you pay for that? Because you should be really. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we should get two fifty <laughs> each from your five dollars <laughs> at least. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what what's funny is I, I didn't actually get to watch it until Sunday, so I listened to your recap first, oh. and that ultimately determined whether or not I was going to watch it when I came back, which I would have probably done, but uh, I, I won't spoil it too much, but it was what I was hoping it would be. As someone who listened to my recap, uh, by the way, I'll be doing uh, instant reactions to all of these episodes of WandaVision on the Patreon feed, patreon.com slash secondprint.com. 
pod. Just one of the many, many perks you get uh, as a patron of the show. Uh, but I'm curious how you felt my level, because I wasn't really thinking one way or the other too hard about spoilers or not. I, I was not going out of my way not to spoil anything, but I wasn't trying to spoil things necessarily either. So where do you think I, I fell in in terms of the right mix of, of did I give away too much, give away just enough, whereas you were still had enough there to, to be surprised at, at how the episode unfolded? Two things I really wanted to know without spoilers. Is the filmography similar to the quality of which we've come to expect, not just from the Marvel films, but also the Disney Plus exclusive series that we've been able to get? And really the only one that has mattered has been The Mandalorian. I'll say it delivered on that, and you were able to really convey that across. The second was, does this feel like it matters? Because that's one of the reasons I started tuning out of the last couple of the uh, Netflix Marvel series, because mm -hmm. you know I didn't watch the second season of Jessica Jones. I didn't watch the second season of Punisher. I did not watch the second season of Luke Cage because I just didn't feel same. like it mattered. Yeah. And I enjoyed the earlier seasons of all those, but I think especially around the time it was starting to come out that Marvel was going to be dropping all those shows. So then it really started to feel like it wasn't going to matter. Mm -hmm. And while I liked the first seasons and I liked the characters at some point, I just didn't feel like this was going anywhere. It was just more of the character that I did like, but not enough to compare myself to you know 10 or 12 more hours. Whereas I feel like I think everyone's still trying to figure out what, what to make of those two episodes story wise. Like it was good. It felt serious. and it felt like it matters. So I feel like uh, Disney Marvel is delivering on their promise of these new Disney Plus exclusive shows with the characters from the movies you love. They do matter. They are important and it's necessary to see. Not because we're just telling you, but because it genuinely is. So I'm excited to see where things go. I'm excited for your recaps. And as long as you're delivering on that note, keep going. You've got, you've got the blessing. I, I will spoil my recap that I loved the show. I absolutely loved it. Like, I, I'm, I'm so into this show. Like, I don't watch things twice ever. And I, I watch these episodes again um, after I watch them and recap them because there's so many subtle little little tidbits and nuances and jokes that are like, I, I, I emphasize this so much that if this wasn't a greater story of WandaVision and whatever's really going on, and obviously how this ties into the greater Marvel cinematic or cinematic slash Disney plus universe, whatever we want to call it now. Uh, I mean that, that, that element of it alone will be enough of, of the mystery. If it was just taking place in some sitcoms and I would, I would be intrigued by the mystery of it, even if the sitcom part wasn't that good, but the sitcom part, like, is actually good. Like I could actually enjoy these as episodes of real sitcoms. I think, I mean, they're, they're done with the sort of a sense of homage, but it's, it truly is homage, not parody. And those are very different things. And these, these really feel like homages and they went, there is so much death. I even saw that they actually all went, they all went to lunch with a uh, Dick Van Dyke one day to like, you know, play off him. And Paul Bettany was like learning a lot about his comedic timing and the physical comedy. Like they really um, went, went into a, a great lengths to make this feel like j these episodes feel like, like they could have been genuine sitcoms that you might watch in the 50s or 60s about uh, some witch lady and her robot husband. I mean, they, they could have fit right in to the times. And that's that's what makes this so, so excellent to me, let alone the fact that it is highly, you know, very well produced. Uh, the production quality is very high. It is. It does match what we've come to expect from Marvel, even in the, in the cinematic universe. So I'm I'm very excited and uh, I'm, I'm loving recapping these. So uh, by the time this thing airs, there'll be at least, I think, three episode recaps up there for our patrons. Yeah, I mean, to 
to kind of leave my thoughts on before we kind of jump into the topic of the day. Uh, Marvel, I think, has gotten a little bit lazy in the film department, but what they really did well in the first two phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe was they were really great at making period, standalone, genre-based films. And I think Captain America, um, you know, those three Captain America films are really the best example. The first Captain America was a World War II film. Really, down to the crux of it, it was a World War II film. The second one was a 70s espionage thriller. And then uh, Captain America Civil War was just Captain America meets Jason Bourne. It's a modern action flick of international proportions. Um, you know, I feel that with some of the stuff, and for me, it started going down kind of with Doctor Strange. It's like, it's supposed to be a horror film. Where, where's the horror element? It just feels like, as I've said before... Dr. Str- I mean, it feels like Iron Man on acid. Um, whereas with this, I feel like it's really a return to that Marvel charm of taking these characters and these elements and then merging it with the pure genre set piece, which they knocked it out of the park. Indeed, indeed. I agree. So, yeah, uh, if you want to hear those recaps... And you want to support the work we're doing here at Second Print Com- Comics, uh, please do check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash secondprintpod. Perfect. So I think uh, th- this is an episode that I I always say that every episode is one of my favorite episodes. But this is the one where, as I went back and actually read the story that we're going to cover today, it really brought me back to like the early 2000s when I think I was really the most in love with Marvel. And surprisingly, it wasn't even with my favorite Marvel character, Spider-Man. It was of somebody who was relatively a B-lister before the rumors of a film were coming out. Yesterday, we're talking about the Invincible Iron Man, specifically Invincible Iron Man Volume 1, written by Warren Ellis. And I know you probably are thinking, Remso, you just shat on Warren Ellis all last week. No, I just had I had I had some people got a little bit mad over that. Uh, I had some criticisms of his Stormwatch run, but you know Warren Ellis is like all my other favorite writers. They've all written some stuff I love, and they've written some stuff I don't love. This is probably my favorite Warren Ellis story of all time. But before we get any further, Mark. Your relationship with the character of Tony Stark, Iron Man. I thought you were going to ask me about my relationship with Warren Ellis. I was like, well, it started off started off hot and kind of simmered down over the years. He doesn't write back anymore. I actually am going to address my relationship with Warren Ellis first because I find it really interesting. Um, sometimes there's like, because I've long considered Warren Ellis one of my favorite writers. I've read a good number of his works, but even among my favorite writers, uh, there are always books that I, for whatever reason, or runs that I've just never gotten around to reading and never felt the impetus to. And maybe because... I was never intrigued, even until this story, by the Iron Man character in the comics, uh, especially growing up as a kid. Like, this is not a character that was on my radar at all. Um, I read the Avengers starting in 1996. I think it was Kurt Busiek's Avengers, which we're going to be looking at on an upcoming episode uh, drawn by George Perez, who just keeps coming back and back and back on the show already. Uh, but, it, you know, he was he's a, a part of that Avengers. But even then, he never felt like the centerpiece of the Avengers ever. It was always presented as Captain America. Um, in the comics. And I always saw Tony Stark as just kind of like, even like you said, like a B level character. He he was never someone I felt like I got to go see what this character's up to. I never said, Oh, I wonder what Iron Man's doing. Even after the movie is not a character that intrigued me. The only time I really found him to be a compelling character, um, 
was when he was kind of an unlikable character. When I, after I came back from my comic dark period, I went back and read Civil War. And I mean, unlikable in a good way. Like he was supposed to be the more unlikable. Actually, I'm not sure. Maybe that's my own biases that I, that I would favor that side of things. But Let, let's look back at the, at the Fallen Sun episode we did about the death of Captain America. They mm-hmm. do not frame Iron Man as the person you're on the side of. Not until the end, and then you kind of feel sympathy yeah. for him again. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he is presented as always the one that's a little more aloof, a little, definitely a little less man of the people. And maybe that is somewhat represented by the fact that he wears this armor. That, and he is different than superheroes because he doesn't have superpowers, or at least he didn't have superpowers. And anyway, this story is is one that I've always heard about. I've heard about the extremely storyline. I've heard how it's such a great Warren Ellis story, such a great Tony Stark, Iron, Iron Man story. But for whatever reason, I just never got around to reading it. And it's, it's, it's interesting because we didn't not plan uh doing back-to-back Warren Ellis like episodes real. at all like we really didn't like I as we were about to do this episode I said oh I just realized we're doing back-to-back Warren Ellis stories and we we said oh should we mix it up or something but I said now it'll actually be interesting to look at two what I would say are very different Warren Ellis stories uh back-to-back and, and kind of a, a little compare and contrast there so um with that being said I, I'm ready to dive into this thing yeah, absolutely. If there's one Iron Man story you have to read, I'm going to say it off the bat before we even get to the story and eventually get to the reviews. This is really it, because what you're going to find here is everything you need to know about Iron Man, because it completes two things. One, it gives what I consider a very successful origin story, a retelling, a retcon update of the Iron Man origin, while at the same time paralleling it with a modern story to bring people really kind of back into the fold, make Tony Stark really the 21st century hero that he's supposed to embody, while at the same time also setting him up to be the center of the Marvel Comics universe going forward. And as we'll eventually see, he, he's he's really the center of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Even in death, they can't escape him, especially mm-hmm. if you're a fan of Iron Boy Jr. played by Tom Holland. You can't get out of Tony Stark's shadow. He matters that much. So uh, we're, we're going to go ahead and jump into it. We are pulling out issue one of this brand new series. Now, I want to preface, this also came out at the same time as Captain America issue one. This is coming out, I think, concurrently with Avengers Disassembled. So by the time both series are you know, six issues in, uh, this is when the new Avengers period is starting. And as you know, that's when Civil War ends. So a lot was happening between 2004 and 2005. There were many efforts to try and bring back Marvel's core characters beyond just Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four into the fold because they're starting to prioritize their films a bit more because they saw that Spider-Man did great and X-Men was phenomenal and then they've got the Fantastic Four films and as you know all these properties are going off Marvel's looking around especially to Avi Arad from uh you know Marvel Productions and they're like hey man when are we actually going to make some more money off of this stuff? <laughs> so he worked with um, a few of the editors at the time. Uh, Avi Arad has more impact in the comics than people think. Uh, he's one of the voices that really pushed for the ultimate line of comics to try and bring in new readers like myself in the early 2000s. But he was like, listen, if you want to set them up on screen, you have to set them up in the stories. And you know, with this Iron Man story, you're going to see this, the elements spread throughout Every iteration he's on a screen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, the first um, volume of Captain America by, I think it was uh, Ed Brubaker at the, at the time, uh, that whole thing set up uh, 
you know, really the the Winter Soldier and Captain America story arc throughout the film. So this is a area. This is an era of Marvel storytelling that I really fell in love with, and this is why I'm so hard on Marvel, both here on the show and in the rants where I kind of rip it apart because I've seen how high they can go, and I've seen what they're capable of doing. Which is why when they deliberately put out shit products, I get mad. And when I look at this, I remember that charm and that excitement and that creativity that I felt as a child. And I look at everything else now and I'm like, God, you killed it. You damn dirty apes, you killed it! Uh, this is really interesting for me too because um, this came out, this, this time period you're talking about, 2004, 2005, is pretty much right after I tuned out of comics for a while for you know eight or nine years. Uh, and the, one of the last books I remember buying on a regular basis, I was buying Warren Ellis's Stormwatch, and then I started to uh, buy Warren Ellis's Authority. Uh, so it's somewhat fitting that we just looked at the beginning of that run in the last issue, and now we're looking at this, another Warren Ellis story that starts a new era for Marvel that I missed totally. And really the only thing that I've read from this era outside of Civil War are are the other stories that we've looked at on this show. Fallen Sun, uh, Secret War. Um, that's about it. So everything else is really new to me. This was totally new to me. Uh, and I, I, it was really fun to read this as someone who had not read it before. Um, and that's, again, that's one of the emphases of, of starting the show and of doing this with you, someone who was getting into comics at the, at the exact same time that I was at a comic. So it's really, it's the perfect mix, Remzo. Absolutely. From your mouth to God's ears. Anyway, we're starting off first uh, first page of this. Yes, Second Print Comics is the only comic book podcast endorsed by God himself. You heard it here first. Endorsed by the Lord. And he speaks through us. There you go. Um, This is, I can tell you up front, this is not how an Iron Man comic typically starts. Iron Man's biggest gimmicks were always him in the armor fighting somebody in bigger armor. So here we are. We have no clue where he's at. He could be in, like, RoboCop's Detroit for all we know. It's dark, decrepit. You see a little sign on this brick building that looks abandoned, covered in graffiti. Dr. Cole Slaughterhouse. And it's like, what the heck is going on? You see the the opening scroll of Iron Man. Then it's got Extremis. And then, you know, it's going to be one of six. And I got to say, the artwork off the bat. Nothing the, the 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 pictures themselves are not what's exciting, but the way in which they're rendered and illustrated, uh, it, it almost looks like CGI on the page. So you see the building, you go to the second panel, you see these three guys walking through. But good CGI, good that CGI could, that could be good or bad, but not, yeah, I mean it's it's just the, the the art struck me from the very beginning as well. Um, but this is Adi Granov, Adi Granov. I had never heard of him. I don't know if I've ever seen his work before. This art blew me away. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe I have seen his work and didn't realize it, but I, I was so sucked in by the art right away, which is it's hard. It's kind of hard to describe because it's it's at the same time very basic and also very detailed. I think that's one thing I noticed is just the detail of this art. It's lifelike. Incredible. It's lifelike. That's the way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can make boring like scenery, waking life, like a movie like that, you know? Yeah. Like if you can make boring scenery jump out and we haven't even gotten to the superhero part yet, you, you've got me hooked. So these guys walk in, we see they're basically uh, taking apart that briefcase, and and they've got like this weird shot thing. And they go ahead and pull over this one dude, his name is Malin. And apparently him and these guys, we, we don't know if they're with the government, we don't know if they're criminals, we don't know what's going on. But apparently, you know, they didn't just wind up here one day, they planned this. You've got the one guy holding the shot, and he's putting it in the back of Malin's neck, and he's like, hey man, you, you sure you're up for this? And Malin's just like, man, just do it, all stoic and creepy. Uh, he goes ahead and injects it, 
And what happens next is just, it's a little unnerving. It's kind of horror film esque, but Malin, he starts screaming. He's pulling at his ears. It looks like something is really screwing with him. And then, then he just falls down and you've got the other guy, the third guy in the room. And he's looking at his friend and he's like, man, like nothing's happening. Something should be happening. That's when Malin starts moving and he's making noises again. And, the guy who had injected him with the shot, he's like, listen, I, uh, I, I guess we were sold a dud. I mean, get, get your breath back. Uh, we'll get back to Nielsen's van and, you know, start again. So they're probably just going to leave Malin here. So at this point, you're thinking, like, what type of crazy, like, redneck shit are these guys getting into? Something obviously weird because their friend, who they thought was dead a moment ago, jumps back up. And Malin is just trying to catch his breath and... Now he's just screaming, but as he stands up, his his eyes are bloodshot red. He's screaming at the top of his lungs, and then he starts puking blood. Like, this is – you see his veins popping out. This is some horror, like, Linda Blair exorcist shit. I don't know if that's even blood. It's like this black goo. It's like blood with whatever this is. Extremist. Extremist blood. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nasty as all hell. So it's the like guys- something you'd see in the X-Files or, or something like that. That's the best way. I mean, it kind of reminds me of like, uh, shoot, Anthony Meyer wrote an article about this over at the website. That thing with the vampires. Oh, the strain? The stra- yeah, yeah, the yeah, strain. Yeah. It kind of yeah. reminds me of the strain. So so the two friends run out while Malin is puking crazy stuff and they lock him in there and he's just screaming. So yeah. this uh, this apparently took place on November 7th. November 9th, two days later, we're at a lab. And immediately, you look around and... I just can... want to point out this very first panel again, just to emphasize the art here. Like, like this could have just been the, a very hastily drawn shot of uh, Tony's office. But the, on this just one panel here, there are there's so much detail between down to the wires, uh, down to like a little mouse, uh, the, where things are plugged in. Like you can examine this whole office, little bits of the Iron Man costume. Like there's just so much detail here. And then you see Tony like sleeping in the corner. Like he, he's been up there all night. Like you can just, you get so much is, is shown with, by just showing it, by not telling us that Tony was up all night working on all this stuff like we know it just from all the detail in this one panel and i I can't emphasize enough how just amazing and and crisp and clean this art is yeah i mean this is really while while the story matters comics are ultimately a visual medium and this is the show don't tell elements of it so for much to go from that creepy warehouse now we're obviously in tony stark's lab which looks like he hasn't left for a while i mean you could tell that he's up to something and he, he's it's he's obviously he hasn't gotten the kick out yet because he's still there. He's sleeping on cotton aside. That's when Tony's cell phone and, and this is just a reflection of the times. It's a flip phone. Um, it starts buzzing and he picks it up and he, he just looks groggy. And you could tell he I mean, beyond just his signature uh, goatee and everything, he hasn't shaved in a while. So he's like, yeah, what do you want? And the other person goes, Mr. Stark. And he's like, do, do, I mean, who, who are you? And she's like, do you know who this is? And he's like, no, this is Miss Renee. Uh, I'm your personal secretary. Do you know who you are? And he replies, no. And she she comes back with, it's time for you to come out of this that, of that disgusting garage and greet the world, Mr. Stark. And he just responds back, bite me. This is very not Robert Downey Jr. I will say that. This is what I really remember of Iron Man in the comics. He's kind of an a miser- asshole. A miserable fuck asshole, yeah. Yeah, that is yeah. how he's always portrayed. He, and I don't think they they only touched on this in the movies a little bit, but he was uh, portrayed as like a true alcoholic. I think at this point in the comics, he is 
not drinking anymore, so he's gotten over that. But he's always been a, a character with demons, uh, a character who's not not the most likable fellow, which uh, kind of makes sense for how they decided to portray him in, in Civil War and in Fallen Sun. Uh, but yeah, it's it's very di- very much different. That that is one thing I think that's a big difference between the uh, comic book Iron Man and the now you know the the movie Iron Man is like he's cocky, he's brash, like but, he's, but like comic book Iron Man was known for at times being kind of abusive. Yeah, exactly. Like we see a little bit of that towards the latter end of the Iron of the Robert Downey Jr. years in the MCU, but this Iron Man is just a dick. Like he's not even like emotionally absent like Batman. This one is just a dick, and you see this for like nine panels. Um, you know, his new secretary is trying to update him on his calendar, and he's just like, I, I don't care about any of this shit. And she's like, Man, you've got a company to run, and it just goes on and on and on. And you know, usually I would think that this is kind of filler dialogue, it kind of drags, but it's really. Kind kind of setting the stage of Tony Stark is absent from the world by choice. Right. Yeah, for sure. That's how that's definitely how they're portraying him as kind of aloof, disconnected from the entire world and just doing his own thing. And whatever's happening around him is just a, a, an, an inconvenience at best. Yeah. Um, so the, the next page, it takes us to him having just taken a shower. He's, he's cleaned himself up a bit. And, you know, we're so used to Tony Stark loving himself that if you go back and read this, it's almost like, who am I reading? As we've just talked about, because he, he takes a look at himself in the mirror and he's cleaned up a bit. And he's just like, what are you looking at? He's looking back at his own reflection, walks away, looks back and he's like, I hate it when you look at me like that. So, I mean, really what they're trying to pull out is the fact that this is not the Iron Man that you know in the films, and this may be a bit more of an exaggerated version of the Iron Man you might have seen historically in the comics. This is Tony Stark not very happy, and for very good reasons. Indeed, indeed. So now now we're over in Austin, Texas. We're at this building called Future Farm. And like we've been saying, like the, the pictures themselves are very plain. But the way that they're drawn out can make this very bland office building actually look good. As we go inside a Future Farm, uh, we're at the desk of Aldrich Killian. Mark, do you remember Aldrich Killian? I do not. You Should remember I? Iron Man, you remember Iron Man 3? Not really. <laughs> I, I saw it in the theater. Do you remember Guy Pierce? Yeah, that's who this that's who this character is. Yeah, so this is just okay. one of those examples. We've got Aldrich Killian. I, I, that movie I saw once in the theater, and uh, let's just say I was a bit under the influence of sorts. And mm. can, it's, it, let's just say it's somewhat of a foggy experience. But I, from what I've heard, it sounds like that's for the best, maybe. Yeah, because this is one of those examples where the films and the con- and the source material are often two very different things. They're not even homages of each other. They're just different things. So if you're if you're looking at this from somebody that remembers Aldrich Killian in the movie, assume that's an entirely different person. Because now we've got this dumpy, angry, Al- you know, Aldrich Killian just looks kind of sad, and we see him typing an email. He's very not Guy Pierce from Iron Man Three. And I'm actually going to go ahead and read this email because this is probably the most important uh, monologue throughout the the six issues we're going to read. Um, they know, extre- you know, he's basically uh, Killian is in charge of special projects and there are cops around and he's just like you could tell something is happening. And he's typing this email. We don't know who to. Uh, they know extremist has been extracted from the vault. It's chaos outside my blessed door. This place is so badly organized, no one seems to be qualified to know what has been stolen or what to do about it. Maya Hansen was in here earlier, shouting at me, 
She always shouts, never happy. It's only a matter of time before the thief is discovered and interrogated. I won't get through an interrogation. I know that I've, um, I, I know that I've uh, loose, loosened something terrible. Knowing that it had to be done, it doesn't ease the burden. All the emails on this are on this machine. If you can find them, I can do that much. But understand this: this had to be done. I'm shaking. It's getting hard to type. Goodbye. Uh, he presses the print button and he pulls out a freaking gun and he's about to shoot himself. And this is just like you can just tell this this something something is seriously up. He puts the gun to his head. He's about to squeeze to the his trigger. eye to his yeah, left to his eye. eye. Or I mean, his right just, eye. Like I. I, I don't know how you got to shoot yourself, but that just looks like it, it's he, he's really got to do it. Uh, he, you see uh, a, a close up panel. You've got the solitary tear. It's like when you can make tears on paper look real, yeah. like great job. I yeah, mean, just as, as solemn as the scene is, is you're trying to figure out what's going on. Like the artwork itself, as simple as the pictures might be, the style is beautiful. He says, I've never been in love. Never. No one's ever loved me. <laughs> And he shoots himself. Like, wow, he's got you got to make him the most pathetic guy ever on top of of this. Yeah, ah, so poor fella. <laughs> he shoots. I'm not laughing because it's funny. Suicide's not yeah. happy, but like the way it's done, it's almost like what the hell is happening? It's a you little over the top. You don't see a lot of this in comics, especially no. Iron Man comics. No, you don't. Uh, this is when you see a young woman come in. She says, "Al, there was a bang," and she looks over and she's like, "Oh no." Uh, immediately she sees that something was printing off as she came in. She pulls up the piece of paper and sees that it's his suicide letter. Um, she runs out and sees another scientist in the hallway. You, we need a paramedic. I, I, I don't know. Paramedics bleak something. And the guy's like, Dr. Hanson, what happened? And she responds, Dr. Killian shot himself. He, he killed himself. Maybe. I mean, I, I think he's dead. Part of his head's missing. He's uh, he shot himself in the head and it was him. He, st he stole the extremist dose. This is his. I, I don't know. It's his confession. Uh, he stole the extremist dose and gave it to somebody. If you think I'm just kind of touching through the words like the dialogue here. This is very Warren Ellis. Warren Ellis is excellent dialogue. And when you can really show the 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 mood the the frustration the nervousness the shock of somebody through dialogue that's just very run on not always as grammatically correct you're you're doing something good so right off the bat mark this dude has obviously done something wrong and then he decides to kill himself because it's that wrong yeah and and he's never been loved <laughs> so, just, <laughs> so just a, a rough a rough uh, situation all around for this guy but yeah we don't really know much else at this point. Yeah, and, and Maya Hansen, we know that she's somehow involved in the project, but uh, she apparently knows as much as we do, which may or not be true. I'm just going to leave that there for people to linger on. <laughs> subtle, Spoiler subtle. alerts for Iron Man 3. Well, since we're being subtle and spoiling this a little bit, now that I look back at these panels after having read the whole thing, I don't know. Her reaction doesn't seem that natural. You know, yeah. just kind of, oh, oh, no. Looks over at the paper. Oh, here's the paper. You know, not be in shock. Not the hysterics that I would probably be in if I found a colleague or friend like had just blown his head off. Exactly. Uh, now we're back at Coney Island, New York, at Stark International. Uh, you've got a bunch of filthy hippies outside holding signs, holding a rally. Those long-haired beatniks, Mark. Those, Unbelievable. Those <laughs> always, always protesting, asking for peace, and uh, condemning weapons manufacturers and the New World Order. You can't trust them. Always causing trouble. Guns and, don't uh, kill people. Stark does. Can you picture me saying that? Holding a uh, 
Stark Arms, New World Order. Like it's it's funny. I mean, he's really people forget this and and they stop touching on it in the films. But like he was a weapons developer, and it's not like he was just the person that was just part of it. He loved selling this stuff. It really is him. So they're really trying to set him up as what he is supposed to be. It's like if the president of Raytheon was a superhero, just because you do some cool stuff does not excuse the stuff you have done or the stuff that you might still be doing. Yeah. And the movie is, they kind of really try to make him more like always kind of reluctant on that part. Uh, but in the comics, there's really no, there's really no, uh, you know, he does a little bit of like, well, I only sell it to the good guys or I sell it because I, I put it back into the good research and I have to use the bad, the bad money for the good stuff. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's a weapons manufacturer. That's what he is. Yeah. Uh, the next page, Tony Stark basically gives this monologue about how people used to be, come to Coney Island and it was one of the best things ever. And people loved it so much they would want to sleep on the beach to wake up to a bright tomorrow. And then he says, looking out the window stoically, they don't sleep on the beach anymore. That's why he turns around. We're introduced to a documentarian, John Pillinger. And, uh, you know, he, he's apparently come to film something. Uh, Tony Stark turns around and, you know, they're, they're, they're exchanging pleasantries and Tony replies, you know, I'm an admirer of your documentary, of your documentaries, Mr. Pillinger. Uh, should we go ahead and get started? And uh, they're basically doing a film that you wouldn't think somebody of Tony Stark's nature would want to do. It's like think of Jeff Bezos if he's doing an anti-Jeff Bezos film. They're talking about what the documentary focuses on and it's called Ghosts of the 20th Century. And, uh, you know, at this point, if Tony Stark wants to leave, he could obviously very leave. You could tell that this is not this is not going to be flattering. But um, they they start the documentary, and he's like, "Okay, just go ahead and run with it." And uh, Pillinger starts it off with Tony. Would it be fair to define you as an arms dealer? I I don't think so. I mean, I I wouldn't deny that. But but you do design and sell arms. I wouldn't deny that we have designed arms for the U.S. military, of course. In fact, Stark International was founded on weaponeering, I believe. Uh, yes, my first major contract was for the U.S. Air Force. And, the, and Pillinger replies, you know, what, what was the contract? Uh, initial engineering interest was in, the miniatures, was in miniaturization. The United States Air Force saw applications in munitions. And then that's when Pillinger brings out something called the seed bomb. You might remember this from the first Iron Man film. It's that thing mm -hmm. that launches – it's one missile that shoots off a bunch of little tiny missiles, and all those tiny missiles pack a giant punch. So that's what he's getting into. And as uh, we, we're we continuing, basically he's, uh, he's talking about you know what was the ramifications of that bomb. Uh, sometimes those bombs went off in areas they shouldn't have gone. Sometimes they got pulled out by bad people. Even though he may have designed it for the best of intentions, what Pillinger is basically saying is the unintended consequences of your giant bombs were that children have died from it. In fact, Pillinger says each of your bomblets has the explosive force of three sticks of dynamite. 18% of them suffered timer failures. They're scattered across the theater of conflict. Children find them, Tony. And Tony is just, you know, he, he's sitting back and he's just thinking, you know, well, we don't even know what he's thinking until the panel continues. And we see that, no, we're not in Coney Island anymore. We're having a Tony Stark flashback, a younger Tony Stark. Somebody's <laughs> we are not asking in Coney him, Island anymore. That's yeah, sure. we're not in Coney Island anymore, kids. Uh, can you tell us about this, what, what the Stark Sentinel is? And it's like it's a landmine. And basically, we're back to Afghanistan. Uh, he is selling um, 
you know, these new Sentinel landmines to the U.S. Army. And as they're unloading a truck full of these new Sentinel landmines, you see that the convoy is attacked. The guy, the soldiers he's with are taken out. The general he's with is taken out. It looks very much like Iron Man 1. Um, because for many people up until this point, then this is the thing about Marvel continuity. Uh, realistically, according to the Marvel editorial board, it's only 15 years. 15 years from when Iron Man became Iron Man to where we are now. So they think that everything that you've seen since from the 60s to now has only been 15 years. Uh, but Tony Stark's origin is very, very, very dated. In fact, he was um, his origin takes place in Vietnam. The Viet Cong were the ones who kidnapped him. So it's kind of hard to have this modern update on the story unless you're going to actually change it for current events. And at this point, we're very still much in the early days of the war in Iraq specifically. So it makes sense that, you know, if we're going to change the sliding scale of the timeline a little bit, that Tony had his origin amidst the war on terror, which we definitely see in the films. Mark, what do you think about this? Seeing that they're obviously going for it. They're actually going to go ahead and retcon at least the timing and the location of Iron Man's origin. Well, this is very much a, um, a Warren Ellis staple, not per se retcons necessarily, but getting into the sort of real world modern politics of things. And that's something that he did do in his Stormwatch run and that he, and the, with the authority later on, and that he's also doing here uh, when he gets into, because Warren Ellis likes to write, like he, he writes a lot of stuff outside of the strict superhero genre as well. Like he always likes to ground his work in some semblance of reality. Um, so I, I, it took me a minute to realize, oh, we're getting a retcon here. Oh, we're getting an, an, a new origin story or, or, or a twerk, a tweak on the origin story. And I, I don't know. I kind of like, I like that Marvel sort of allows this with their characters because, you know, in a way it's, in a way it's more complicated than DC because you somehow have to rectify Act, like stories that have literally gone back since to the 1960s, like in real life, like 60 years worth of stories at this point and make them all sort of cohesive and make sense in one universe, which can be difficult. But uh, DC's answer to that has been reset, 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 reset. And every reset has just made things more confusing, which is why they've you know, seemingly changed course now, but we'll see and talk to me in five years. Um, but uh, I, I do like that Marvel allows retcons with their characters in a way that sort of makes sense where they, all they really do is they, they recognize the history, but every once in a while they kind of give you a flashback or, and suddenly something that happened in say Vietnam is actually in Afghanistan now. And it makes a little more sense. And obviously he's going to tweak the story a little bit to tie into the story he's telling now, but it's always doing it without. Yeah. Technically, if you go back to a different Iron Man telling of the origin where it's in Vietnam, yeah, that would that's technically contradicts the original origin. But I can live with it, you know. I, you gotta, you gotta move on in some way. And I'm totally fine with the the concept of just retconning things so they're a little more modern. And while you're doing that, while you're putting it from Vietnam to Afghanistan, it's okay if you're changing a detail or, or two to modernize the character. And if if it's if there's a point, if there's a reason that ties into the storytelling, which it certainly does here. So I, I, I yeah, once I realized we're getting a retcon, I was excited because I'm such a fan of Warren Ellis. I was like, oh, let's see how he does this. Yeah, and I mean, even though the the aesthetics have changed, what do we see right here? During the attack, everyone is shot and killed. Tony's running away. A stray bullet hits one of the fallen Sentinel landmines, and you see a landmine go off, and it just rips open Tony's chest. Like, it's a pretty gnarly, gnarly photo there. So uh, they, they go back to the... Um, 
to the interview. And this is where he's trying to pivot. He's like, listen, man, I, you know, I had this incident that happened in Afghanistan and I'm fine now. Thanks. And, uh, you know, uh, the, this reporter keeps bringing up stuff like, you know, you sold a massive super gun to a, to a Gulf state. You've done a bunch of other stuff. And then somehow this Iron Man guy comes in. Um, how many of, you know, how many of these devices led you to design the Iron Man suit itself? And he replies, well, everything was leading me towards Iron Man. It, it's worth noting that many people, when they think of Iron Man, really – their biggest familiarity is the films. He did not admit he was Iron Man until 2005. So at this point, as they're talking about Iron Man, they're not talking about you, Tony Stark, Iron Man. This is I. This is Tony Stark's bodyguard, yeah, Iron his, Man, his personal who, bodyguard slash weapon of war, member of the Avengers. But they've always uh, sent him, kind of portrayed him as Tony Stark's employee, never as Tony Stark until more more recent times. Yeah, and I mean, it's uh, it, it's just one of those things that's very, very specific to the comics. Like, it was always, he is his bodyguard and he's loaned to the Avengers. And they're talking about it, and they're like, you know, uh, who is, is Iron Man a military device? And he's like, I don't think so. But in, in keeping with your other inventions, it certainly has military applications. And Stark responds, everything has military applications. So basically, uh, Feninger's trying to get to the root of who Iron Man is. And he's like, and what's funny is as he's interviewing him, Tony literally has a legal pad and he's drawing a sketch of new Iron Man armor. He really doesn't give a shit about this interview. And I think Feninger- he's just with everything else, whether he's talking to the secretary, talking to a reporter, all he gives a shit about is like a new Iron Man armor every time or, or some new invention. Yeah, like he, he had his focus is really not on what anyone else's priorities are. And uh, Feninger's trying to dive a little bit deeper into him. He's like, I, I believe uh, the unknown test pilot of the Iron Man suit is in fact tasked to solely tasked to solely be your personal bodyguard and iron and tony stark responds well that's a little disingenuous you're well aware i donate iron man services to special response groups like the avengers all the time and fangers like sure donate what does he own this guy (laughs) he owns the guy like iron man is a man ain't he <laughs> yeah, put the man so, back in Iron Man. Uh, Feninger responds, "Sure. The the point is, other than guarding you and performing peacekeeping operations, well, the Iron Man suit isn't used for anything else. Therefore, really, is it just a defense industry application?" And then you know, Tony's basically just like, "Man, I'm getting kind of tired of this. Like, anything could be a weapon. Understand? I'm not just here to make." you know, guns and things that blow up. Everything has a real singular use. And my point is, John, is that stark microelectronic breakthroughs have all led to useful social technologies through that initial military funding. No, I don't think, uh, I don't, I didn't first think to myself that taking microchips down to nanometer limit would be good for bombs. And the money from seed pod was driven into medical biometric implants, cardiac replacement medication, medicine, and internal, uh, uh, anesthesia pumps. Am I an arms dealer? No. Did I start out as a weapons designer? Yes. Do I intend to die one? No. And at this point, um, you know, the, the, the whole thing is just basically ending almost to the point where he's just basically, done and uh you know this guy yeah, just he's, keeps, he's like getting up while he's answering the, the question like he's like all right i'm out of here yeah i mean he's very much at the point where it's like you know i, I wanted to give you a chance and he says this because the conversation's basically off hill tony looks at him he's like you know i wanted to meet you you've been making your investigative films for like what 20 years now i i want to ask you a question what have you changed you've been uncovering disturbing things all over the world for 20 years what have you changed have you changed anything 
You've worked very hard. Most people have no idea the kind of work you've done. Intellectuals, critics, and activists follow your films closely, but culturally, you're almost invisible, Mr. Fillinger. Have you changed anything? And Fillinger looks at him. He's like, I don't know. And then Tony pulls out that Tony Stark charm. He puts his hand out to shake him, and he's like, me either. It's been an honor to meet you. And that's it's one of those moments where it's like a, a double, you know, like a backhanded compliment. You don't know what's happening. It's the it's the fuck you, you prick handshake. <laughs> <laughs> like bygones yeah, be bygones. We've all, we've all had one of those. Yeah, and, and nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're we're back to Texas, and what we see is Malin back in that empty building. But something's happened to him. He looks like he's almost in like a human cocoon. It is disgusting. Then his eyes open, and his eyes are those blood-red eyes. His, his, I mean, his mouth is covered. Everything is there. We don't know what has happened to him, just that he looks gross as hell. This is a much more detailed, like, cocoon-type drawing than uh, the one George Perez did in Infinity Gauntlet when, uh, when what's his name, Adam Warlock was in the cocoon. This was, yeah. uh, this is, uh, wow, this is something else. This, this is straight, straight out of demonic. a horror movie. This is straight out of the X-Files, really. Yeah. Uh, Tony Stark... Uh, comes back and he tells his assistant that he's going back to the garage. At this point, uh, he starts a Stark voice log, and he's he's basically, you know, this is his little audio diary. John Pillinger says the Iron Man suit is a military application. I told him he was wrong. I'm trying to decide if I was lying. I've never sold an element of the Iron Man suit to the military. It's used for extraordinary rescue and response situations. Iron Man saves lives. And we're trying to really understand, like, how 21st century is this new Iron Man? You see, he takes off his shirt. He's going to this door, and he presses what looks like a button. But then we see, like, an X-ray version of that same picture where he's just pressing a part of the wall. And what we see is that he's got this little microchip in his wrist, very transhumanist, and it sends a signal to the door opening it up. So obviously it's embedded for his own biometric data. I just think that's pretty freaking. He was doing it before Zoltan Eastvan. He was doing it before Zoltan. And uh, he, uh, he, the door opens, he takes off his clothes and he just finishes the monologue. He's like, hard to believe I used to be able to, to fit that suit into a briefcase. And it's this giant Iron Man suit. This is probably one of my favorite incarnations of the Iron Man armor. Uh, what he's making fun of is like in the 60s and 70s, Iron Man used to take his golden, his red and gold armor, and it used to be like this aluminum foil thing that would, uh, you know, just get meshed into a briefcase. They did it. They did an homage of that in Iron Man 2 at the Speedway in Monaco, where he has the Iron Man suit that is the briefcase. It's not like the regular one he has. It's like a travel light one, which is why Mickey Rourke just completely screws it up. But just right here, you, you see that big whole splash page and it's just it it's beautiful what i love about this is the art is great but the story itself it even knows as it tries to be modern it's got to be self-deprecating to a little bit and it's just i i love it yeah i love it too and the suit just looks awesome like it looks equal parts um yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a classic Iron Man suit, but it, it, again, looks very modern. So it's it's one thing that Warren Ellis is really doing here throughout uh, with this entire storyline. It seems like he's really, he's slightly retconning the character, slightly tweaking the character, but doing it in a way that completely is consistent with what the character has been over the years and is basically just updating him a bit for modern times. Yeah, I mean, it's very theat, But in a natural way, because this can often be done in a very unnatural way. And I think Warren Ellis is doing it in a way that is completely logical, makes sense, and that never feels forced. 
Yeah, I mean, the story flow, the dialogue, everything, it's very theatrical because right now he's giving a, a diary entry. Usually this would be like internal monologue thoughts, but he's saying it out loud. It's like he's talking to the reader. And he's basically catching you up. He's like, you know, that landmine put shrapnel two centimeters from my heart. Every movement allowed it an inch closer. I had to design the system to hold the shrapnel where it was and incorporate it into a self-defense solution to get me out of captivity. It was the first time I designed something that saved lives. It was a stopgap at best. I got home and put my money into a suit that'd keep me alive. I'd spend years in various versions of this breastplate holding the shrapnel the shrapnel in magnetic fields until medical science caught up with me and I could get the damn thing out. But I kept the suit, kept tinkering with it. And I'm not sure why anymore, except maybe that it wasn't about the future, but my future. It allowed me to pretend that I wasn't a man who made landmines. I went from being a man trapped in an iron suit to being a man freed by it. And he puts on this, uh, this like, uh, gold bodysuit with all these wirings out. He's assembling the suit, and by the time he gets that last line, he puts the Iron Man helmet on, and he flies out of this silo past all the hippies on the floor who are now like, oh, look, it's <laughs> Iron Man. And, like, uh, sweet! Oh, wait, we were just protesting. <laughs> he's just... He, it's, I, I do love how they're all just, like, captivated. Like, whoa, this is so cool. <laughs> and, and he's just having the ball with this. Like, all these years later, all these adventures, all these crazy things Iron Man has seen, it's still fun. He lets out this giant laugh. I mean, he is... He went from being the asshole in a suit a few pages ago to being the guy in an iron suit who's just He's Wonder Woman, it. learning, just discovering to fly for the first time, <laughs> thanks to Shut Chris up. Pine's words. Ooh, if I just ride the wind... I can, yeah. Yeah, anyway, but, check out but, our Wonder uh, Woman 1984 review, uh, episode 23, to hear my thoughts on about Wonder Woman learning to fly. Thank you. But speaking of flying, uh, the, the, the next page of Iron Man just in the sky in this beautiful armor, uh, I, I love it. Uh, we go from this to a black and white series of pages. We see a young Iron Man, and the, the woman over there sitting at the bar where they're at uh, looks a little bit familiar. It's Maya Hansen and Tony Stark, and they're talking, and Tony, you know, he's not being very friendly right now. And, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about what do they do, and she's a scientist, and he's like, I, I run a corporation. They start talking, and... You know, there, there's a little bit of flirting back and forth. And now you realize, oh, now we understand who this woman is earlier. Um, you know, this is Maya Rudolph who saw her boss kill himself. So as they're Maya talking. Maya Rudolph. I'm Saturday sorry, Maya Saturday Hansen. Maya, Maya Rudolph. <laughs> Maya Hansen. Maya hey. Hansen. Uh, they, they're talking about why nobody wants to interact with Tony Stark. You know, he's not super popular or anything. And, you know, at this point, uh, he hasn't introduced himself yet, but she already knows who he is. And she's like, listen, you want to know why they're not around you? Because they're terrified of you. You reinvented microtechnology in your dad's garage. Your brain is like three feet over the heads of everyone else here. And then they, they introduce each other, and obviously uh, they're about to go have fun because after all the flirting and everything else, she's like, hey, I want to go take you and meet this guy named Sal Kennedy. He's doing this crazy talk, and she's, he's like, who's that? And he's, she's like, Kennedy started out as a computer guy, became an ethnobotanist, works as a futurist now. So she grabs him, says, loosen your tie. We're going to go listen from some super smart computer hippies now. And now we go from this back to the modern era. We see Maya back at her desk, back at uh, Future Farm, and she's calling Tony Stark. And at this point, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they remember who each other are. It's been probably a decade now. 
And, uh, you know, he's wondering, like, hey, well, like, what's going on? It's been a while. Uh, and she responds, Tony, I really need someone to talk to. Something's happened here in a while. It feels like the last straw. And he's like, Maya, where are you? Uh, she tells him where uh, she is. And he's like, I'm going to go ahead and send a, a private jet to uh, uh, pick me up and I'll go see you. And uh, that that's basically it at this point. Uh, now we go back to that place in Texas same day as Iron Man is out having some fun flying past the hippies, being mean to journalists. And we see this door that those two guys closed that brought Malin in to shoot him up with that crazy shit. And like giant dents, like Terminator style dents. And they're looking at this thing and they're horrified. And they look back down. I remember last time we saw Malin, he was in like that giant cocoon thing. And now he looks like a human with smallpox and stuff, and his teeth are all red, and his eyes are all red. And he looks back at them, he opens his eyes, and he says, I'm alive. And that's the I'm end alive. of issue one. That's how I picture him saying it. <laughs> like Smeagol. Yeah. Uh, looks like a, his teeth are like blood. His teeth and eyes are the same blood red color. His skin is all blotchy and gross, and he just looks this, he looks, he looks this absolutely disgusting. This is... <laughs> Two things. One, this is not the average Iron Man comic I remember. But secondly, in terms of just setup for a story, uh, not it's not very actiony. But man, they they lay a lot of stuff out. So whether you've been an Iron Man fan or you've never read an Iron Man comic before, I remember reading issue one. And I'm like, I am hooked, man. Yeah, I mean, Warren Ellis really sets things things up, and he does so almost entirely. Through conversations, through Tony's conversation uh, with the uh, with that reporter, um, through uh, you know, it's it's really we see everything through words. But it, it, like you said, it's not action packed, but it's not boring. Like I'm engaged the entire time. Like I really feel like I'm being sucked into this story, to this character. Um, and for a story like this, for me, usually like. The fact that there's not okay, there's not like a big overarching villain here. I mean, there is. We'll get to to that, but there's not like you know a a, a well known co- comic book villain. I guess you might say, like, or like a, a Doctor Doom or something. But this, despite that, this has the epic feel to it. This feels like a huge story. Like this feels like something big is going on. We don't really know what, but we've gotten en- enough hints at how grandiose what's happening is uh, that we know something big is occurring and. Tie that all in with how amazing this art is. I mean, it's just beautiful to look at. Like, I'm, t- I'm totally into this story after the first issue. Yeah. Uh, kind of a side note. There is an Iron Man motion comic with a full cast voicing all the characters. I think it's available on iTunes. It, it is – you could probably catch it on YouTube for free probably. I remember actually buying it for like two bucks per episode on iTunes. Uh, it was with, – with this art and everything, like when I say this is like – cinema on the page it really is so those are my final thoughts on issue one indeed all right issue two we're back to tony stark he's apparently in a board meeting with a bunch of the the a bunch of the uh executives from stark international and they're basically kind of worried they're like you know tony you're just not really here anymore uh you know you used to do a lot of stuff. Now you're not here and we need an active CEO. And besides you're talking about pulling out these military contracts. I mean, military contracts are what make Stark in Stark international, Stark international. So maybe you should step down like Steve jobs or someone and take like a chief creative officer position. And Tony, who's in his jet Skyping in, uh, he pulls out this phone. And what's funny is that it looks, <laughs> it looks like a Blackberry ish. Yeah. Yeah. 
It just kind of shows you the time, but he's like, look, this this was made uh, for a contract of S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D.'s an international peacekeeping organization. It's not military. Um, we've just invented the best cell <laughs> it looks phone. Like the first, it looks like the first <laughs> cell phone I ever had, like literally, the, with like the three buttons. It's exactly like L- the first cell looking, phone I had, and it's being presented as amazing technology. Looking at it right now, it's so dated, but uh, I don't, you know, it's a product of its time. But he's just like, it's we've not just a flip in- phone, at least, so he's upgraded. Yeah, uh, we've just invented the best cell phone on earth. We don't need military money anymore. And as he's holding it up, everyone's just kind of looking around. And uh, you know, the, the the one guy who's there, he's like, "Tony, we're hip deep in research and development on thirty different things. Eighty percent of which uh, won't realize any money in the next three years. Military money is the easiest way to improve to improve cash flow. And I mean, we could license technologies everywhere, but we need you to sign off on those. And when you spend six weeks in the garage." <laughs> Um, you know, what, what's going on? And, uh, if you want to make the world a better place, you have to let someone help you. And honestly, I get where this guy is coming from. He doesn't seem like an Obadiah stain in the Iron Man films. I mean, his name is Jeff. I think this is the only time we see him in the comic. He's bringing up pretty valid concerns. Yeah. And, uh, if I were anyone on the board, you know, knowing that my boss is running around doing crazy shit with his iron bodyguard, I would probably have those concerns too. Yeah, um, that <laughs> it's. I, I suppose it is a fair concern. They're kind of portraying these board guys as like the villains in a way, like the ones that just kind of want to go out and sell the military contracts. But uh, from a business perspective, they do have some pretty valid points that Tony Stark just kind of disappears to work on something in the garage for six weeks and they're just sitting there with their hands tied because they can't really do, do anything. Yeah, and that's what I'll say about the way that the characters are done. Like they look like people. It actually mm-hmm. looks like the artist actually got photos of people and drew them because no one no one quote looks good or looks evil they Mm -hmm. just look like people and you have to take it from the dialogue to understand what's really being painted here yeah i was gonna say that they don't look like they're not portraying these like even though they're I guess villainous in the sense that they are promoting, like, you know, selling the weapons or whatever. They're not portrayed as villainous. They don't look villainous. They don't look over the top villainous like an over Obadiah Stane was portrayed in Iron Man. Uh, they, like you said, they're like just regular like business people who are like like they would be at a real board meeting. They're just concerned about the business and they want to make money because that's their job. And that's it. They look, but there's no there's no over the topness to this. Like like you know, there's no like oh my god, this these guys are so over the top villains and they're probably secretly working with the the guys to sell the weapons. There's no no sense of that. At all warren ellis uh is able to lay out the story without it i guess the best way to say it it doesn't feel co- like a comic book he, he makes it not feel comic booky while still presenting us in this graphic novel form so anyway uh tony lands in texas he goes to future farms in his car meets up with maya obviously they were friends for a while we've we understand they have some history but like we saw at the initial call you know what won. that it's means long tony time. stark what some history means <laughs> they laid it on a little bit thicker in the in iron man 3 when maya hansen makes her cinematic debut but uh, anyway, uh, she brings them in, and uh, she's basically like, listen, my boss killed himself. He went ahead and sold this terrible bioweapon. Uh, everyone's been trying to get into his computer, but there's a problem with it. So they, they run in, and uh, they're they're basically uh, letting Iron Man try and get into the computer. And basically what he just does, he's trying to figure out how everything is going. He sticks a hard drive in it, and there's a little bit of back and forth. She's wondering how he's been. He's wondering what they're doing, yada, yada, yada. And at this point, he could tell that she's still a little bit 
shook by everything that happened. I'm here. Boss did just blow half his head off. <laughs> so at this point, uh, he's able to get the data he needs from this computer that obviously no, this is the one weird thing. It's like, don't you think the FBI or shield or somebody would have taken the computer and said, they just left it there. And if it's that dangerous, like, come on. Uh, but he walks in, he's able to grab it uh, at this point. You know, he's able to get all the information. He's like, you know what? Uh, let's go see Sal. And she's like, you think, and Iron Man, Tony Stark is like, yeah, he's still in the Bay Area, right? Sal always makes you feel better. And don't you, you know, and, and you don't want to be around here. And uh, at this point, uh, you know, Tony's like, listen, we're going to take care of everything. I'll have a car on standby. We'll, we'll go grab dinner. We just got to get you out of here. And she just responds, what, you have a plane? And Tony replies, well, planes, similar to the Quinjet design I gave the Avengers, only, you know, faster. And she's just like, you're so weird. She still can't grasp that she's friends with this giant billionaire CEO. Or she does, and it's just harm, harmless flirting. But you, you take it from there, because their relationship is, is different. I will say that. Yeah, I, I, this is my favorite character in this entire series, <laughs> the, the, the meeting of Sal here, uh, this guy that they uh, – clearly go back with and he his he goes on this whole thing about like DMT and the spirit molecule and yoga and like especially with some of the things that have been going on in my life the last year like I've really gotten heavily into yoga and the, how he talks about um you know just uh it really touched me. The really. machine elves. It, it meant, yeah, the, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm sitting here reading about DMT machine elves in a Marvel comic book, and I'm just like, what am I reading? Like, I can't even believe that this is in a Marvel comic book right now that I'm reading about uh, this guy taking DMT and talking to machine elves. Uh, it, it's Mark awesome. has found his comic book I, spirit animal. I have found my spirit animal. I, th I think that's safe <laughs> to say. So uh, I loved everything about the, the conversation with this character, especially how they they sort of um, intersplaced it with some scenes of what was going on with this this malin character yeah so speaking of malin the next page we, there's actually no dialogue we see this van it's been driving across texas at one point it's in a place called bastrop then they're in houston and then when they get to houston this creepy unabomber van uh is parked outside of the fbi houston division what are they doing we don't know because the next page comes by out they're in san francisco Maya hansen tony stark and uh you know, they, they're walking into the woods and she's like, he's off on his wild man of the woods kick again, isn't he? I liked him better when he, you know, uh, I, I like this better than his minimalist raw foodist phase. Sitting in a room with no furniture, getting your lungs seared out by his farts. And then she's like, what, uh, you're, you're still not drinking? I don't dare. I'm an alcoholic. And she's like, Jack Daniels is my boyfriend. So, I mean, I, I like the I like the banter between them because it's not all story. It's not all exposition. It sounds like two two actors having just a good conversation. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the thing when you can make the characters pop and feel fleshed out. I love it. Uh, they go ahead and they, they play the door. <laughs> I mean, they hit the doorbell and he's like, what music is the doorbell playing? And my response, something by the grateful dead, I think. And Iron Man is like, who? And by this point we see Sal, he, he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. He's got long gray hair. Looks like a hippie. He's got an iPod Nano on a necklace. Uh, and he's just like, my children, come in, come in. You, uh, you, you want, I should twist up a bomber. <laughs> and it's like, if Jeff Bridges ever had to play anyone uh, other than yes. Obadiah Stane, he yes. would be the perfect Sal. This is the Iron Man role he was meant to play. Yeah. And uh, Mark, I'm actually going to let you read Sal's parts because they walk in and he's got all these all these uh, masks in. And he's talking about, oh, you know, I don't have sleep. 
Uh, you know, my, my children, you know, they don't come by anymore. Uh, they've become weenie straight people, the whore. All right, come through, I, I, come through. I, I'm going to read a, a section from Sal. Uh, I'm going I'm to start right here, uh, where, where Tony Stark asks him. And right now we're also seeing, uh, as he's giving this little speech, we are, like I said, he's starting. we're starting to see Malin, this extremist guy who's clearly uh, now an, an enhanced human of some kind, uh, going through some things. While So this 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 talk is, is happening over shots of, of Malin going and basically like killing these like soldiers at some, or security guys at some it, we don't know where he is, but he's he's causing havoc. We know that. Anyway, uh, Tony says, what are you working on right now? And, and uh, Sal says, mostly I'm just taking drugs. <laughs> I spend my days <laughs> I spend my days cooking down Illinois bundle weed into DMT and raising mushrooms. Tony says, you and your damn psychedelics. And he says, you never would drop LSD, would you? He's like, and Tony says, I like whiskey. I liked whiskey better, uh, saying I think he doesn't drink anymore because it's, it's the past tense. Uh, good for you to come to consider, consider LSD. Good for you. I've come to consider LSD as abrasively psychiatric. It really just reruns all your memory stores at random. DMT and mushrooms are much more interesting and alive. DMT interests me because it gets to a place beyond your memory stores. You know something like 60% of people have the same hallucinations on DMT? Terrence McKenna, rest his soul, called them self-transforming machine elves. Little bouncing technological artifacts that spoke a basic machine code that, no matter what your language, you could understand. He thought he had accessed the afterlife. I think it's the operating system of the human body. The brain is actually designed to take in and process DMT. Did you know that? I think we're supposed to take it. I think we're supposed to see our own operating systems. Perhaps we're supposed to hack them. Perhaps we're supposed to change our own bodies. Drugs are technologies, Tony. And again, this is all while we're seeing this extremist guy literally like punch faces, punch people's faces open. Um, Alan punches half a man's skull off. Straight off, yeah. Uh, Drugs are technology, Tony. In the places where humanity first arose, there were psychedelic mushrooms. It's a medical fact that those mushrooms improve visual acuity. That would make early humans much better hunters. The Iron Man suit you built, Tony, it has sensors, zoom lenses and the like. Yes. Same thing. Whatever poor moron you stuff into that suit can see better. Same with early humans who had mushrooms in their diet. I imagine your extremist process redesigned the human eye, too. Yeah. And then we go on and she, she talks about ext- extremists a bit more. Um, but yeah, basically, he's in it, it really seeing the full picture of the story. This ties in so well. Um, everything he's describing about hacking the body, hacking, you know, hacking your brain uh, that we're meant to maybe, you know, hack the system. We're meant to be able to see the code. And that's that really ties into where we're going to go with with Tony here. So I think it's even before. Before I realized where this was going, um, I was appreciating this just you know from a life perspective. But uh, uh, just reading about DMT and machine elves, and let me just say, everything that is in this speech is very accurate. I'll just leave it at that. Disney, if you want to go ahead and bring <laughs> Sal into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think you found your Sal. I think so. <laughs> Mr. Bridges, we need you. Um, we, we go back to the, to the, or did Houston. you mean me? Did you? <laughs> I meant, oh, I was talking to you. I think you can do it. All right. I'll tell you. He, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a, he already had his time. He was bald, Obadiah Stane died after gotta, one film. Just got to gray my hair a little bit. And I think I could pull it off. There you go. But we're back at the, at the FBI headquarters in Houston. Malin is just ripping agents apart. He takes a handgun and he throws it so fast. It's like he breaks the sound barrier and it caves into this one guy's chest. And it's just, it's, it's, it's Game of Thrones violence. And at this point, you know, 
Sal had previously asked, like, what are you here for? And Tony's like, advice. Ah, come to see the wise man of the forest, the old shaman. You know what they call a shaman in Australia? The clever fella. Uh, which one of you is in trouble? And Maya's like, ah, that would be me. Let me guess. The old super soldier thing that's always bugging you. Microelectric plugins for the brain. Yeah. You know, no one's ever gotten a result exactly like that, uh, like old Erskine did with Captain America. Uh, you know what uh, Hieronymus – do you know what a Hieronymus machine is? It's a bunch of junk in a box. It just happens to work exactly uh, to the experimenter's intent. What people think Ersk, uh, what people think that Erskine's formula was was a Hieronymus machine, that it was simply his own force of will that made it to work exactly like a perfect super soldier dose. You're both in trouble. It's just that he doesn't know it yet. And Tony's just looking at him like, oh, wait, like, I don't genuinely, what, what do you actually mean by that? Uh, you can barely look yourself in the mirror, can you, Tony? You're rich now, independent. I have a good feeling you've done good works when you can, but it's not enough. You have the intellect, the power, but it's not enough. It's like there's a dam across your life. Uh, you know, her problem is she's a woman. <laughs> there's a glass ceiling. It could take her another five, ten years to get where you are now. And what would you do when you got the, to Tony's position? And she's like, four years of engineering and I could cure cancer. There you go. And what do you think about it, Night Tony? Making a better Iron Man suit so that your poor bodyguard can wrestle monsters or whatever he does. No. And your juice stinks. So so what does he do besides beating up Fing Fang Foom? Would the Iron Man suit end war? It'd be hard to kill someone in an Iron Man suit. And I mean, the conversation just keeps going. And what he's basically pointing at is like, you know, she's afraid of what she's put into the world. Tony is afraid that he hasn't done enough to put mm -hmm. into the world. And Malin is just ripping people apart. He's getting shot. So you can tell he's super strong. He's super fast. And now he's <laughs> bulletproof. But this is where it gets super ridiculous. And what's cool is they've already brought up Fing Fang Foom. They brought up Captain America. So you've got them trying to make this seem like the world outside your window. But they're still mentioning these fantastical elements to remind you this is the same old Iron Man that you've had since 1966. Right. Meanwhile, Malin starts... Breathing fire. <laughs> this part's and he's amazing. setting everybody on fire. I was he's not expecting this. He's ripping heads. He's throwing open doors. He's breathing fire. And at this point, you go I like back how, to, too, like yeah. the, the the page before you see him breathe fire, you see him, like, break someone's neck, open his mouth, and this you see, like, a little, like, glowing, like, smoke-type stuff out of his mouth. And then the next page, I guess that was uh, kind of the, uh, the, uh, the initial whatever, what we could see from what was enveloping inside his lungs to blow this fire out and just burn all of these people alive. And this scene where they're burning alive is, like, insane. Like, you can see, like, uh, the detail of them gra being graphically burned alive is just... It's something you don't see every day in comics, let me tell you. Speaking of not seeing something every day in comics, we go back to Sal's place. They're wrapping up the conversation. Maya gets a phone call. And obviously, uh, she doesn't say anything, but she, she puts down the phone. Someone's like, Sal, and she's like, Sal, can you put it on CNN? And he's like, I don't have a TV. And Tony responds, hold on, there's a TV tuner on my phone. And we, <laughs> see, we see on his this really thing. did seem futuristic back then, though. Back then, back today, then. Like, oh, just go watch yeah. the live stream or whatever. He pulls up, he pulls up CNN on his on his phone, and it's just it's a it's such a cute old phone. It's it's so it's adorable, ridiculous. Tony. Adorable. Uh, we we see CNN is talking. He's got about MySpace on that on that phone. I think. Oh dear God, we miss you, my, my uh, MySpace, Tom. Tom. We miss you, Tom. Yeah, we miss you. 
You were nice to us. Uh, CNN's showing the FBI building in Houston. It's on fire. People are running out, and everyone immediately knows, yeah, that that is that thing or whatever because they immediately zoom in on some of the survivors and they can tell when people are getting their faces ripped off and everything else um you know it's something bad so at this point tony looks at Maya. he's like what are we watching here and she's like the signatures the fire the hands a few other things and extremist and hansile did this whoever stole the extremist dose took it tony and lived and did this at this point, they realize that uh, it's probably time to bring in Tony Stark's bodyguard. We go back to the back of the building. Malin has escaped, and uh, the two guys in the truck, the ones that have been giving him his doses and everything, they look at him. They're like, dude, what, what did you do, Malin? And Malin's still with his red eyes. He's got this like Joker-like smile. He's like, what did I do? I just started. And that's the end of issue two. Man, Malin might not be Dr. Doom. He might not be Lex Luthor. He might not be a lot of things, but he is a crazy, crazy scary son of a bitch. Yeah, he's super scary. He's uh, he's really badass. We see, we get a, we'll get some glimpses uh, into this character uh, in the next issue. But uh, yeah, I, for, for what, what it first seems like, there's like, you know, it's hard to see how like a human, even uh, an enhanced human could be a threat to Iron Man. But having, even before they've come into contact here, having the end of this issue, seeing all the shit this guy can do, you're already thinking like, all right, maybe he, he could be a threat to Iron Man here. This guy that's breathing fire and snapping necks and taking bullets like it's nothing. Yeah. And besides, I mean, we talked about Sal enough, but usually when you've got such long expositional dialogue pieces like that, uh, Sal, Sal pulls it off. Sal, in one issue, becomes one of my favorite characters of this entire run. Sal is the MVP. Yeah. By far. Um, so now we're on to issue three. They're in the plane at this point is like, listen, my extremists, I, I think it's time you told me about extremists. And basically he's like, it's, it's issue three, please. We need to know what's going on yeah. right now. Uh, long story short, extremists is supposed to be a super soldier serum. It's supposed to cure all ailments. It's supposed to make you a better, stronger version of yourself. Except the problem is that everyone who had previously taken it had to be put on life support, IVs. It, it messed everyone up. But for some weird reason, they were able to hack it. And when it was stolen, it was already at the phase where it could actually be ready. Uh, you know, as she's looking at this, it's like, obviously, Malin took it, or this guy took it, and he lived. Uh, it's pretty gross, as you can imagine. Extremists uses nutrients and body mass to build new organs, better ones. We loaded in everything we could think of. The hypotheticals were to give, uh, you know, basically build a three-man team who could take Fallujah on their own. And at this point, you know, Iron Man's just like, this is, this is absolutely ridiculous. Um, he gets a call on his super smartphone and uh, he goes into the other cabin of the place and he's like, hey, by the way, uh, my guy hacked your dead boss's files. Uh, he gave extremists to a group of uh, militiamen local to you, domestic terrorists, apparently. And I, I got to go make some phone calls. And then he goes away and you see Maya crying. Uh, so we can basically see that, yeah, Malin, in case you haven't been able to get the vibe, he's basically a, a Unabomber, you know, white nationalist, crazy MFer. Um, Iron Man has his uh, stuff on the plane. Uh, he's dropping off Maya. He's like, hey, listen, uh, I need you to get back to Future Farm. I'm going to go ahead and uh, meet Iron Man around in this hangar somewhere, and we're going to go ahead and meet up. Uh, 
you know, he doesn't have them just, you know, lying around. He doesn't have them in a briefcase. Apparently, he had to ship the Iron Man armor out here. So he goes over this warehouse. He opens this giant thing, and he's just like, ah, I must be crazy. Okay, for my next trick, sneaking out of a hangar and launching without anyone noticing. And it's one of those self-deprecating, you know, moments where it's like, yeah, this is at least they're trying to be serious here. Yeah, and I also like that they're setting up the problem of transporting the Iron Man suit, how it is an issue. Like, it's it's especially because he is, at this point, still trying to maintain a secret identity. Uh, so I, I think it's, and this all ties into where this ends up going, which I didn't, you know, realize at the time this was even part of the story, but it does become part of the story. So I think this is a, a really good little um, elements to put in there, both for the sort of comedic effect and for the fact that it actually does advance where this is all, all going. Yeah, so we go to the next page, and it's black and white, which means we're getting another flashback. But not uh, not Tony's, not Maya's flashbacks. This is Malin's flashback, and this is very much Ruby Ridge. You see this old country redneck family. They're talking about you know the government and the ATF coming over because they've been selling guns illegally and everyone is packing ma's packing grandma's packing uncle's packing and you see little malin sitting in the corner terrified packing and what they do know is that if the feds weren't on them before they are now because apparently as they were running away somebody accidentally killed an agent at this point we hear voices outside mr malin mr malin we have your property surrounded and uh, at this point you know everyone is just ready to go fight these agents but just like ruby ridge and everything else they start shooting everybody i mean everybody malin's mom malin's uncle malin's dad malin's everybody is just shot and malin is as a kid sitting in the corner watching all this terrified as all hell so much so he's having this memory we're back in the real time he's in the back of the car and he's just you know in like this fetal position and they're like hey man like malin you okay you were making some noises and he's like yeah it's just just fine just fine I'm glad we get a little bit of an idea of who Malin is now, because if we wanted to kind of guess, we don't have to guess anymore. He's pretty much a caricature of a uh, of a white nationalist militant, you know, d- domestic terrorist figure. Yep, exactly. And it gives us a little, uh, you know, a little preview. I mean, he was he was born into this sort of thing, I guess. And uh, he is probably now we can see that he has motivation for hate. He is not just a random person selected for extreme for this extremist experiment. Um, He has a lifetime of hate that is built up against whether it's the government or whatever it may be. um, By seeing this incident that happened to him as a child, we get a little more uh, in insight into it's not just the extremist that has made him have be so full of hate. Um, the extremist is just giving him the ability and, and may perhaps enhancing that hate, uh, but giving him the ability to channel that hate into something, hmm, something productive. I don't know if we call this productive, but well, well, what I like <laughs> is that he's, he's not just another regular criminal. They're not mm-hmm. setting him up as a power hungry bad guy. He's a, he's an Osama, but he's the, he's a redneck Osama bin Laden. He genuinely believes in what he's, he's doing now. Okay. Now one thing you had with Stormwatch is that you thought you were being maybe talked down to a little bit with how Warren Ellis was portraying like the UN and the domestic terrorists as, as the kind of people that didn't want the UN were kind of looked down upon and through the way he wrote things. I didn't feel that at all with this character. How, what did you think? I agree with you. Whereas, you know, in the Stormwatch run, he painted everybody as that. Mm-hmm. In this one, we're focused on a person, and he's taken more time to not humanize him, but to flush him out a bit more so that you understand him. And it's not that you have sympathy towards him. It's that you're like, oh, this guy has a reason. And this is, you know, that that 
that whole page is basically Ruby Ridge. That is literally Ruby Ridge. Yeah. So, you know, for this to happen, it it's a be- it's better execution. I feel like it's a genuinely good villain setup and it it makes it makes Malin even more of a menace. Yep, I agree. So, Iron Man has found and located the van. They're they're uh driving down a Texas highway and what he does is he uses his repulsors and he blasts the roof of the van. It goes toppling. A few other cars are freaking out. The the van just, you know, falls apart and it looks like the two other guys are dead. But for Malin, he just rips it apart and he's screaming and Iron Man lands and he's pointing his rep- his gauntlet with his repulsor at him. He's like, lay down on your face with your hands behind your back and cross your ankles. There's no reason this has to be difficult. And Malin's like, yeah, there is. There's a lot of reasons. So he he blasts him with his thing. I think oftentimes like lasers and comics, they often seem kind of like, you know, they're just going to stun you. They don't really do much. Uh, this repulsor is literally like burning off his skin and shit. Like it, it looks like a real freaking uh, weapon and Mal and he gets hit and he just starts like moving super fast. And even Tony's like, man, this guy is, he's too fast for my computers to respond. And next, you know, Mal and pops up behind him. And he starts breathing fire. Iron Man grabs him. And at this point, uh, something is happening. He tries to electrocute him, but it kind of backfires on Tony. That's when Mal and grabs him, picks him up and tosses him. And that Iron Man armor, they say in, in some of the other comics, that Iron Man armor can make Tony weigh up to 1,200 pounds sometimes. Wow. So the fact that this guy has just taken him up and launched him, he lands in another car, causes a whole bunch of wrecks. This Does is he a, have this electrical powers too? Because it kind of seems like that electrical charge is he adapts. coming from him. Yeah, That's yeah, the yeah, thing. He, he right. adapts to who he's fighting. That's mm. what makes him more difficult. And he's breathing fire too, so he's, he's adaptable and he's scary as fuck. I love when he just throws Iron Man like like he's nothing, like he's a bag of potatoes. Yeah, so at this point, uh, Iron what Man a, What an old-fashioned phrase, too. I, I, I've never thrown a bag of potatoes. I don't even know why I would say something like that. But Well, well it, it, fits, there, it fits the moment. There was a time when people did throw bags of potatoes, and it looked <laughs> similar to this. Um, Iron Man pulls out the supersonic weapon, uh, tries to blow up Malin's eardrums. Malin adapts to it. He throws a punch. At this point, Malin grabs Iron Man's fist and he crunches it. He breaks his hand. He shoots, uh, Tony's armor shoots out like these defensive little, little bomblets that blow up at Malin's face. Malin kicks out Iron Man's knee and breaks his leg in the armor. And then, after Iron Man is still blasting him in the face, and he's just there smiling at him, he's just taking this entire repulsor blast to the face, he punches a hole through Iron Man's armor. So much so that when we see the inside of the armor from Tony's view, there's blood everywhere. He has just beaten the shit out of Iron Man. To make things worse, when this issue ends, he takes a car and he's about to smash him in the head with it. So his 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 left hand is broken. His right leg is broken. He's probably broken a ton of ribs. He's coughing blood. And he's about to get pancaked by a freaking car. This is this is not the way that you thought this fight would go. No, they have really uh, made this Malin character into like a not just a threat, like oh he can put up a good fight against Tony now. Now you're like oh no he's 
going to kill him. Like he, this, like Tony is completely outmatched here. I mean, he was not ready. He was, he was looking to fight and, you know, ah, some enhanced super soldier, like, Oh, I've, I can, I've been fight. I fought enhanced super creatures before. No problem. Now this is a totally different thing because he adapts it. Like you said, to every situation. So even if he throws something at him, he is going to adapt because of the extremists. So uh, it's really, and seeing, I love the shot where he, where he kicks his knee in. I mean, that is just like, Whoa. Cause you, you didn't just break, that. you didn't just you break a that. dude's knee. You break, you broke his knee through this Iron Man armor and bent the armor as well, and it didn't even seem like it took that much effort. Uh, so it's, we're quickly realizing that whatever extremist does, some serious shit. Stre- extremist is a hell of a drug. Hell yeah. <laughs> issue four starts. I'd rather take DMT myself than extremist, but you know, we each, we each have. I don't know. Breathing thing. fire is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Anyway. I don't know how I feel about living three days in the cocoon state or what have you and puking the black stuff, but. Yeah, we, we've all done a bender. Um, <laughs> we've all issue, a four, issue four picks up where issue three has ended. Uh, Malin's about to go ahead and crush this car of people inside of it over Iron Man. Luckily, Iron Man's unibeam on his armor blasts Malin far, far away, and Iron Man is able to catch the car. Except here's a problem. Uh, the power's out. He's broken as all hell, and it looks like he's about to give out, which he does. The car just completely falls on top of him. At this point, Malin has uh, he's been you know shot probably a few miles back. Uh, he's looking around and suddenly he sees all these helicopters and he's like, you know, it doesn't matter. Not important. I have all the time in the world. Leave the little things behind. And he he, I don't think he's like flashed you know flash fast but he he speeds off iron man is under this car. There's a fire breaking out. It looks like they're about to go ahead and. Uh, 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 you know, blow up. Luckily, the suit takes over, and it basically. I, I like that he kind of lays there under the car. They like show him just like laying there for a minute, and then yeah. show him. They show him carefully pushing the car up because it still has this family in it. So they, he doesn't. He has why he can't just like shoot the car away or punch it off. He has to like kind of let it fall on him so that this family is safe, and then he slowly lifts it off. So I thought that was a a good touch to sort of show his the the, the heroic aspect of Tony Stark there that he is he's not just thinking of himself when it comes to the battle scene. Yeah, I mean, he really is a hero, and even in this moment, you can, he's you can using... forget that he's a hero sometimes when you just see him being such a cocky asshole all the time. Uh, but when it comes to the actual, uh, you know, when it comes to game time, he is truly a hero. Yeah, at this point, um, you know, he's he, he's able to save them. You've got this guy coming over, and uh, I'm sorry, you've got this cop coming over. And at this point, Iron Man's basically giving them directions. He's like, "Listen, I have to be seen by a, a professional. Here's what you're gonna do." And he gives them this, these instructions. And basically, what they do is they have to rope Iron Man and lift him by helicopter over to this hospital. I'm sorry, over over to Future Farm because he re- specifically requests Doctor Hansen, and they lower him into this gurney. And at this point. Um, you know, she kicks everyone else out because they don't want to expose Tony Stark's identity. At this point, uh, she's she's still well. She doesn't know it's Tony Stark. She's like, hey, like it's just us, okay? Did Tony send you? He takes off his helmet and he's like, yeah. And she's like, Tony. And he's like, please, not so loud. And it's the whole, oh my gosh, you're Iron Man. Why didn't you tell me? Yada yada yada. And then he just gets to the point where he's like, listen, that extremist process of yours is is pretty good, you know. And she's looking Some around. Good stuff he's, there. I'm not yeah, gonna lie. Like the, he did this to you, and he's like, "Yeah, incredible speed, move faster than I could operate the armor." And uh, at this point, you know, she's list, she's lifting off everything. He's like, "Listen, I need, I need all this other stuff to help me out. The only reason why I've been able to get this far is because the armor injected me with painkillers." And uh, you know, as he's looking around and he's trying to figure things out, he's at the point where he's like, "Listen, um, he's a biological." 
combat machine. I'm just a man in iron suit. I've spent months in my garage trying to increase my armor's response time, and it's just not fast enough. I need to wire the armor directly into my brain, and the only way to do that is through extremists. Maybe we could work in some kind of TiVo thing, and that's another reference. When was the last time you heard of TiVo? You remember TiVo? TiVo? Yeah, what was that, like 15 years ago when TiVo came out? And then... yeah basically was irrelevant after two years or so it was popular because of tropic thunder other than that by tivo yeah it was it was the small window before there was on-demand television readily accessible and before you know before we had all the streaming services where uh it was like it was like the bridge between live tv and where we are now well it was tivo basically but not long after tivo pretty much every even before we converted to fully digital uh like pretty much every cable company just made their own tivo so like tivo itself was maybe around for like a year or two max yeah Gotta but it's, lo- it's gotta- still a term we use, like, like even in television for like what I do, sometimes people will describe it like, you know, oh, it's like because when I'm working on a TV show, like a, a live production, a live uh, live sporting event, for example, I can go to any moment of the game that already happened like very, very quickly. So like we'll describe it as like, oh, it's kind of like I have like a really fast TiVo of it, basically. So and people still seem to know what I mean when we say that. Cool, cool. Well, anyway, uh, he's he's able to basically sponsored by TiVo. <laughs> Go to TiVo.com slash second print pod for 100% off your order. Uh, basically, Iron Man is basically telling him, telling her, Maya, the only way I'm going to be able to do this is to merge extremists with my own technology and hope that that's enough to fight Malin because he's beyond Captain America. He's beyond all the all these other people. Like, we, we've we got to do this. And as she pulls off his gauntlet, we finally see his hands. Remember, Malin broke his oh, hand. Yeah, the hand. His oh. fingers, His everything is just freaking disgusting this is where the art just shines uh maybe shines isn't the word for something so grotesque but man this looks so real this looks i mean so real while still looking like comic book art like it doesn't look like a photograph but it looks like the most realistic art you could you could ever comprehend i mean the the, the, the blood and the the, the way like this is the finest details of his skin and the cuts and the oh and the, the one finger that's broken man it's oh it's nasty it's it's a beautiful it's beautiful and disgusting all at Be- once. beautiful horror Beautiful horror. But anyway, Maya buys it. Uh, they bring Tony into this room where they're going to go ahead and inject him with extremists. Before he does that, he pulls a, a USB cable out of the uh, back of the Iron Man helmet, and they're doing a playback of the fight. And what you basically see is that when Tony uh, blew up the top of the van and Malin was about to rip out the other half to go fight him, you see this map. And on the map, maps. Who uses maps I know, anymore? Maps. So uh, we see that Malin has drawn a circle around Washington, D.C., and he's like... <laughs> this is ridiculous to me by the way because it's like okay I, I don't mind the idea that someone had a map and like was mapping out their journey do you really need to circle washington dc to know where washington dc is on your map like is this and it's not like this is a route these are not this is not a series of highways he's taking this is just a straight line i guess because he's walking so maybe he's taking or or running or whatever anyway i'm not going to quibble too much over the fact that he circled where he's going but that no one in real life is doing this is all i'm saying as someone, as someone who actually did live did actually drive across country in 2004 with maps like i literally we got everywhere with a map we didn't have internet directions or anything like that um we never circled the city we were going to that's all i'm saying <laughs> well, speaking of places to go, we we uh, we see Tony at the end of that. He's coughing. He he really needs this extremist because it actually looks like he's going to die. Uh, meanwhile, next page we see Mal and he's slowing down and he shows up in this little town and we see this uh, th- this girl standing by uh, by by a speed sign. What are the odds? What are yeah, the odds, are the of, odds? All, of all people he meets? <laughs> yeah, she's smoking. She looks like a like a punk rock goth chick and. 
you know, he stops right beside her and she's like, Hey, what, what are you looking at? And he's like, nothing. Well, I came out here to smoke. Okay. But no one around gone bug me or say no. And Madeline's like, no, nah, it's okay. I'm just passing through. Well, keep going. I came out here to be on my own. The crap I get in town, I need some time alone. Malin is just, you know, he, he just obviously wants to have a chat. He's chill out. He bends down. He's like, what? You have trouble here? She's like, I, have, I like black clothes. I like certain kind of music. I have a vocabulary of more words than 10 words. What do you think? He's like, yeah, I was different when I was your age, too. And she replies, I swear, wear a long coat and everyone thinks I'm going to shoot up the school. I'm on suspension. Wrote a story in class about zombies attacking the, ca- the town. They called it terroristic riding. This country's gone insane. And then Malin, he thinks he's found a kindred spirit. He replies, I know exactly what you mean. What I don't get is cops and feds can outright kill us, and we don't even think about defending ourselves. That's terrorism. And uh, just when he thinks he's found, you know, somebody he can remotely relate to, she pulls out her shirt, and it's the American flag with a swastika where the stars are. And she's like, seeing my shirt? Um, at this point, he's like, what, is, is that how you see America? Sure. You know, this is where it gets weird. <laughs> you know, the Klan did good things to, they too, they defended Christian law in lots of places. And she's like, uh, I'm so sick of hearing about God all the time. I'm gonna have to like, you know, pass a religious test just to live here. The Klan lynched people who didn't look like regular white folks. And he gets in her face and he's like, regular white folks built this country without government or spies or regulations or people with badges who kill your family for fun. And she's like, yeah, regular white folks did all that too. And he's like, don't say that. It went all wrong and I'm going to fix it. I've got this stuff inside of me. See, from the future. And we're going to make it. And we're going to use it to turn back the clock. At this point, she points at him and she's like, go back to lynching and giving smallpox infected blankets to different looking people. You're as bad as them. Leave me alone. And we don't even see it. The 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 square after that just shows that her head is missing. Her her missing head and blood on the ground. Like, my God, man, he tries to make a friend. (laughs) He thinks he's got a new friend here, someone who's just as downtrodden and and, disrespected by society or what have you as he feels. And then now she actually thinks like, oh, no, this guy's actually totally psycho and terrible. And uh, and, uh, yeah, it costs her. (laughs) It costs him a friend, costs her a head. So... Yeah, Malin's I don't know, a I don't know if we needed the scene. Guy. I don't know if we needed the scene, but I'm glad we got it. <laughs> I, I like I like learning more about Malin because he's just so villainous. It's one of those moments where it's like you know this is you you could tell a lot about your hero by the bad guys he fights. And what we really know is that Malin's just just not likable. Not even the uh, not even the, uh, the the goth chick who can I can identify with him. That's how nope. unlikable he is. Uh, Tony has somebody from Stark International send a briefcase and. Uh, Maya brings it in and it basically has a new uh, electrically charged metal that is not like the armor you saw him wearing where it has to be in a crate. This is basically, you know, broken up pieces of metal. And by looking at it, um, you you don't really know what it is. But what he's basically saying is, uh, you know, uh, this version is made out of all memory metals. An electric charge makes it snap into shape, and the molecular structure collimates into super hard plates. Uh, 
comic science. Uh, most of the interior elements compress up to about 90% of their working volume. It's tougher, faster, and lighter than the current unit, but I couldn't miniaturize the control systems. I needed the undersheath, the hard upper torso, and the helmet systems. We can reconfigure extremists to do all those jobs. Make me Iron Man inside and out. And Maya looks at him, and she's like, or kill you. Is this your last live dose? I know this and, is comic uh, book science nonsense, but Warren Ellis does a really good job of making it sound as legitimate as, as it could sound in the context of this universe that we live in. Uh, yeah. that, not that we live in, but that, that we're reading about. Yeah. At this point, you know, he's taken a few of the doses and it's, it's obviously getting to him. He's puking blood and everything. And Maya's like, you can still not do this. You can call the Avengers. And he's like, no, this fight is mine to finish. She's like, Tony, you say he's going to Washington for God's sake. Let's at least warn them. And you know, this is Tony being, trying to be as altruistic as he can. And he's like, if I die on the table, you warn them. Otherwise, uh, this is what I have to do. This is what I have. All I have. All I have is making the future and stopping the animals who want to take the future away from the people. This muck, is you, this muck of yours is the future. It shouldn't be wasted on killers. They all need to see that. And uh, at this point, you know, he's like, listen, you've always been ready for this to be used. You're smarter than I am. Always have been. Me? I'm just a guy in an iron suit. And at this point, something's happened, and uh, now Extremis is really taking into him. He looks like Malin in the first issue. He's he's bending and contorting and screaming and spewing blood, and then his neck snaps, and his his heart rate flatlines, and she's like, oh, shit, Tony? Tony? And from what we can see from a sky view down on the table, it looks like Tony Stark Iron Man is dead. And that's the end of issue four. Yeah, I mean, this is, wow. <laughs> it didn't seem like a good idea to take the extremists, and now it's looking like it may, might not have been. Um, I, I thought it was interesting here that, you know, she's like, why don't we just call the Avengers or something? And he, Tony has taken, like, you probably could call the Avengers. Like, I don't know how you would defeat Malin necessarily, but yeah, they do have like, Th although this might have been, I'm not sure, maybe at this point in the comics, I know there was a couple of years where Thor was kind of MIA. So maybe this, this falls into that category. Um, you feel like he probably could have called on some superhero help here if he, if he really wanted to, but no, this does play into Tony's character though, that he's, he sees this as his thing. This is his battle. He's going to do it himself. And he's already been having this thing in his mind of, you know, um, I, I'm held back. I, I need, we've already had the seeds planted by Sal that maybe he can hack his own system, hack his own brain, hack his own body and tie this into the problem of, of being able to transport the Iron Man suit everywhere. So uh, I guess he just decided it's worth the risk. And uh, But the initial returns um, don't don't look promising. Hacking up that, that black goo. No, they do not. We start issue five, and Tony is in like this little bit of an ellipsis moment. He can't tell what's a dream, if he's alive, if there's a memory. He's calling out for Maya, and suddenly he's back, and he knows where he is, and he sees Ho Yinsen. This is where we continue the Iron Man origin retcon uh everyone has seen the first iron man mo movie you know how important yinsen is we're back to afghanistan he has the shrapnel in his chest and ho yinsen who has also been kidnapped and asked to build well more like told you're going to build us weapons uh now he has tony stark so what they've been told is listen here's a whole bunch of like junk metal and computers and weapon parts do whatever you need to keep stark alive and then you're going to start making weapons and and there's a good amount of dialogue here but really it is verbatim basically the the iron man origin ho yinsen is the one that helps him make the magnetic device that's on his chest plate that they later use to build the the initial uh mark one iron man armor to escape the camp uh, now at this point they start working on it 
and uh, suddenly we go back to the lab. And just like Malin, we see Tony laying on the table, except he's all cocooned. Uh, this is where they show something just for the reader, though. You see the, you know, basically like an x-ray image of like his hand, for example. His hand was crushed by Malin. We see all his fingers broken. Suddenly, they snap back to place. Uh, and then we see this stuff. It looks like veins, like wrapping around his bones. And basically, it's extremists bonding with him. So I, I think, I think, well, you know, this is, this is them doing it right. Show, don't tell. Yeah, and the art here again, I keep pointing this out. Phenomenal. Like the when how first of all, the way he draws an x-ray, like really looks like an x-ray, like it's really amazing. And then I love how they show the extremists. You can kind of see it's this like kind of like blue smoke energy thing that you can just it's just subtle enough that you can see it in the hand. Like it's not over the top. You almost have to really look at it. And then as we see more of the bones, we see the same extremists going through the bones. And man, it just that just absolutely phenomenal how he how he did these these x-rays and I love how they they visually show you what's happening with the extremists um, just unbelievable yeah we go back to Tony's memory of him building the the mark one chess play and at this point they're like listen we're not just gonna use this to save my life we're gonna go ahead and actually get out of here they spend a week building this armor and at this point Tony looks at Yenston he's like the next you know th- this week has been a hell of a week hasn't it but next, that, that bit's going to be really interesting. At this point, uh, we see off in the distance this, this giant person with this glowing metal circle piece and these terrorists who are off in a, in a good distance. They're hanging around. They, they look behind them, and you know they're, they're kind of horrified. And then we see a close-in shot on what we know is Tony. He's wearing, you know, we just see this little metal eye hole in his giant metal mask. And he's like, say hello to Iron Man, you terrorist scum. And in this beautiful splash page, we see this giant, beautiful rendition of the Mark one armor, just giant gray Iron Man. When he was just supposed to be a random horror character, this is this is it full circle. I love this part because, you know, it's the Iron Man story. He uh, he fights the terrorists. He blows them the hell up. And in the midst of it, um, you know, he's just going around setting shit on fire. There's no dialogue for the next couple pages. Like this is one of those things you have to see to believe. He's blowing people up and everything. Uh, he uses his chest beam to blow up a Humvee. We get another splash page. It's just absolutely beautiful. And then just as we're like, okay, where, where's Jensen? We go back to the modern times. The cocoon is falling apart and almost like being sucked, absorbed back into Tony Stark. And he looks around and he's like, I'm alive. I'll be damned. And Amaya is freaking horrified. She's like, Tony, don't try a move. And he's like, I'm so sick of people telling me that. How long was I out? And she's like, 24 hours. This was way too fast. And what he basically says is, listen, uh, while, while you were gone at one point, I made a few alterations to your program while you were in the room and removed some of the safeties. And she's like, you did what? And what he did was basically he, he turns his head and he looks at her and he's like, turn it down. I think I've grown new ear tissue. Let's see if the other stuff uh, I grew works, too. And what we see is that there are these little holes in his body like throughout, like on his arm. There are two on, on his chest. It looks it looks crazy. This is transhumanism type of crap. And what happens is this yellow liquid armor starts coming out of him. It is kind of gross when you look at it. (laughs) 
and uh, he, you know, he stands up and it's all around him and he's like, it's super compressed and stored in the hollows of my bones, Maya. I carry the crucial undersheath of the Iron Man suit armor inside my body, wired directly into my brain. I control the Iron Man with thought like it was another limb. He looks over to the freaking briefcase. The The briefcase opens up, and then the armor starts flying around him. It's so freaking cool. Uh, she's freaking out. Finally, it gets on him, and it's basically the older armor, except incredibly sleeker. This is Welcome the extremist armor. This is the most badass piece of Iron Man armor, at least in my opinion. I love it. Yeah, it's it's... It's definitely the definition of why because comics uh, is a phrase like the fact that he can just take this extremist and somehow program it to connect the armor to his brain while she's just out of the room for a few minutes is a little over the top, but that's okay. Why? Because comics. And I love how it all works out. And it's it's really badass. the, The idea that he has taken the best parts of extremists and sort of turned it down so it's not turning him into a complete freak maniac, uh, but it, he is hacking it, just like our friend Sal suggested. He's hacking this whole thing to build a better Iron Man, and that better Iron Man is himself, and hey, we've got a solution to carrying this armor around now. Now he can carry it in a briefcase again and just command it onto himself uh, through his brain, and uh, I, this, was awesome. this was an awesome reveal. I didn't see this coming again because I didn't know about this storyline. Uh, I didn't even really realize that this is the extent of Iron Man's armor uh, sort of in current continuity. Uh, so this, even though this came out 15 years ago, this is a total shock to me. I really had no idea that he was going to end up kind of hacking the extremists and merging the suit with himself in this manner. And it was totally badass. And, and what I love is this last line. He's like, great news. Uh, well, you know, I it's not great news. Uh, I, I need to go to work now. Malin's still out there and he's closer to Washington, D.C. And she's like, we, we all know where he is. And he's like, I do. I, Maya, I can see through satellites now. It's casual. Just walks out of there. I can see through satellites <laughs> now, by the way. So anyway. Uh, that that wraps up issue three. Now we're on to issue six. The last. I, I, of this I really one. love how he juxtaposed that sort of rebirth of Iron Man with the uh, with the retelling of the origin story, which again was not really it really wasn't a departure from the telling. It's really just updating it for for modern times. But it really worked to uh, juxtapose that with his his second rebirth here. I guess as the it never Iron feels Man. unnecessary. Yeah, exactly. Which is also really cool. Mm-hmm. We're on to issue six. Malin is right outside of Washington D.C. He's in my neighborhood. And, uh, you know, he's outside this, uh, you know, building, just walking around and he's like, huh, what's what's going on? And basically, Iron Man did tip off the authorities and they're like, listen, uh, the entire area has been evacuated, Iron Man. He's all yours. And he says, thanks, man. He blasts Malin straight into the ground, craters him. Then he shoots out these little projectile bomblets again, blowing him up. At this point, Malin turns around, shocked as all hell, and Iron Man is just over him. You see this nice little silhouette just shadowing him. It's it's the the art here is breathtaking. Mr. Malin lay on the ground with your <laughs> with your hands behind your head and ankles crossed. But instead of finishing off the line, he says, Or I'm gonna have to kill you. Uh, <laughs> Malin looks at him smiling. He's like, then you're going to have to kill me because I've been given a tool to save people like me from those criminals in the White House. And you're an idiot if you think I'm not going to use it. And he's like, you know why you frighten me? 
why I had to deal with you myself. And he picks up a car, uses the Unabeam to blow the engine in time to toss that and making it into a giant missile, throwing it at Malin. And he's like, oh, by the way, I, I've made the first version of this suit to save myself and a friend from criminals with guns. I must have killed 50 people trying to free us. And my friend still died. So now we're understanding, oh, Yinsen, Yinsen did die in case mm-hmm. you really didn't know. Um, a straight bullet went through the side of the hut Killed him instantly. My folks died the same way, Malin responds. Uh, and this time, you know, he, he kicks him. Iron Man kicks Malin in the face. But when he does it, he, he activates his, his, uh, his boot, his rocket boot. And he kicks him, but he blasts him in the face. It's like Mortal Kombat type shit. It's awesome. He's like, and you killed 50 people you never met 20 years later. You're my nightmare. The version of me that couldn't see the future. Um, some murder-happy hillbilly who never in his life had a thought about what those tools are for. At this point, Malin is he's still evolving. He shoots like this laser beam out at him, kind of like the laser EMP blast <laughs> that he had earlier when he was fighting him on the highway, but Iron Man disappears, and he, he's super fast now, and he's like, I'm not there, as he's standing behind Malin. You can see Malin's face is like, oh shit, he's like... Now he's the Flash, too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not there anymore. I've upgraded, and he hits him in the freaking back and he's like i'm as fast as you and running this suit by thought you lost the arms race i've spent years trying to get out of the arms race years trying to turn the suit into something that doesn't kill you can still live through this malin as malin is you know breathing fire and running towards him and iron man's like but you're too slow now and suddenly he he blasts a hole in the ground because his mind is moving at a million hours per hour, pulls out an electrical cable from from underneath the cement, pulls out just in time to stab Malin in the chest. Malin goes flying through a building. Iron Man flies through. He's dragging him through walls, Batman v Superman style, punches him through the ceiling, falls out. Malin grabs a freaking excavator, and he's about to toss it at Iron Man. He's like, you really want to do it like this? I'm trying not to kill you. I'm trying really hard not to kill you. And... Uh, you know, Mal and him just keep continuing to fight. Now they're fighting like super fast. And it's just, th- this is the coolest Iron Man fight ever. I will say this. This is all show. Don't tell the best Iron Man combat ever. Um, so much. So I will say oh, too, ahead. like usually this goes for movies, for comics, not really usually, but often if, if I can feel a fight scene often, like that, those are the least interesting parts of comics to me. Normally comic book movies, comic books themselves, the fight scene is usually where I'm like, all right, let's just get through this to the story. Like, you know, but in this case, like this is a captivating fight scene. It truly like keeps you engaged in it purely through action. Like this is really inventive how he flies off. And then, uh, you know, he comes out with what, what do you call this thing? The thing he's swinging around there. Oh yeah. The, the, the chain, the chain thing. The thing, man. The the thing thing that came off the construction thing. Yeah, I don't work in construction, obviously, here. Uh, It's just really inventive how they're using their bodies, the extremists, all of the elements around them, and they really are like a yin and yang to each other. We're seeing only difference being, you know, Tony's got this armor and the extremists, whereas Malin before had him outmatched with the extremists, but Tony's got both. Yeah, we see Malin get the upper hand on Tony. Pile drives him into the floor. And as he's trying to strangle him through the armor, we see him squeezing the armor still. He's that freaking strong. And Iron Man, this is crazy. We see his eyes through the visor. And Tony is like, Malin, for God's sake, don't make me. And Malin starts screaming. He's like, there isn't any future. I'm going to kill it. This is when Tony uses his unibeam 
and he blasts it through his chest, but that won't kill him. So this is what he has to do. He grabs him. He 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 puts both of his gauntlets on both on on both sides of his head, and he's like, "God, Malin, you stupid!" And before he finishes the sentence, he blows up his head. That was what was needed to kill him. You had to kill the brain because he was still going after his after his whole chest blown through. Yeah, I mean, just it's it's disgusting. And at this point, you know, he falls on him, he pushes him off. You think Malin's body is about to come up. He tries, and then he falls, and he's dead. And at this point, Tony just can't leave it there. He just starts freaking kicking him, and he's like, "Damn you!" Damn you <laughs> I love this so much. <laughs> he's just so mad that he had to brutally kill this guy. You know, like he doesn't want to kill anybody, and he had to not only kill this guy, he had to really brutally, brutally murder him, blow up his freaking head. Which almost didn't seem to work either. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's crazy. Uh, Tony looks down. He's like, one left thing to do, the worst. Now we're back at Future Farms, and Maya's there. And Tony returns, but this time he's with a whole bunch of soldiers. And he's like, Maya, it takes two keys to open the extremist boss. Your your boss ha- to to open the extremist vault. Your boss had one, and you had one. He couldn't get into the vault to steal the extremist dose on his own. At this point, Maya drops all her folders and shit, and suddenly we're like, uh oh, what's happening? Iron Man comes over and he's like, I had some time to do some thinking and my new suit wires into all kinds of networks. I know Maya, the army pulled the extremist funding, no field tests, no more money, even though you had a, a you know, working progress, pro- even though you had a working process. So you and your boss decide to arrange a live demonstration yourselves. There's a terrorist with extremists, then call, you know, uh, do- dose the terrorist with extremists then call your friend tony stark who employs iron man and extremists and hansile tested uh, against a man wearing the most advanced personal combat system on earth and then maya you know you think that she's about to cry but she just looks at him and she's like you know what they said about the atomic bomb they said it had to be used once in anger in order that it never be used again in anger i would have used the renewed funding to get out of the arms race set up my own medical technology more than 50 people die in car accidents every day. The only mistake I made was giving a damn about who was inside the Iron Man suit. There's no difference between us, Tony. You're no better than me. And that's when Iron Man, thinking about what he's doing, he looks back at her and he's like, um, but I'm trying to be. I'm going to be able to look myself in the mirror tomorrow morning. The end. Here's the only thing about the story I don't get. Was... Or maybe I do get it. Maybe I just thought it would play into something bigger. The Her partner or director that killed himself. So that was legit. He legit killed himself. That was not part of her plan. Yep. Okay. He legit felt the guilt from having released the extremists, I guess, then. Yep. But he didn't reveal that she had a hand in it. Yep. Which he could have. Mm-hmm. Because he probably loved her. And that's why he said he's never been loved. I just figured it out. All right. The one loophole that I you thought I it? had. Makes her, <laughs> boom. All right. This just became perfect. It was close to perfect, but now that I've wrapped that one up in my mind. I will uh, Should we just go ahead and score this thing? Let's do this. You go first, be my guest. All right. Now, I think we always try to be I always try to be critical here. I think sometimes I try to be maybe even too critical with certain things because I'll think to myself like I have to that's what we're here to do. We're here to be critical in the sense of we're really trying to look at every angle uh, of a book or a story and try to judge it objectively. Uh, so that's what I'm trying to do here. That's what I am doing here. Uh, I am, I'm objective going into this because I'm, I'm not a huge Iron Man fan. He's never been a character that interested me. Even in the movies, I enjoy the Iron Man movies. I love Robert Downey Jr. 
I never am like excited about watching the Iron Man movies. That that's not that's not the part of the MCU that, that gets me excited. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say I have bias towards the character at all. Uh, so I I really do, I've really thought long and hard about this and looking at each category. Let's go one by one. We'll start with the art. This art we have mentioned it. How many Ani times? Granov. How many times in this episode alone have I had to stop and be like, I just had to point out this one panel or point out how he did the x-rays here or point out how he did the hand, like so many times. And I never do that. Like, I, I think I hardly ever, like I, I've complimented art before. There's art I like, but the the way this art st- stood out to me, especially going through this a second time on the show is just, it really makes me appreciate how could I call this art anything but perfect? I don't think I could. I think that perfect scores exist for a reason. There has to be something that qualifies as perfect. And if this isn't it, then nothing can be. So I give the art a five. Uh, and then for the story, I was also kind of weighing, I-, I was doing this the wrong way at first. I was like, what should my final score be? Oh, maybe this, maybe, maybe I should just give this like a nine or a nine and a half. And then I, from there, I went to go break down the individual parts. And that's where I got stuck saying like, well, the art is, I have to give this the art a five. The art's perfect. And then I go start thinking about the story in more detail. Like, what can I criticize about the story? Were there were there gaps missing? Is there a line here that I didn't love? Was this one scene unnecessary? The only thing I could think, you might be able to say the scene where Fallon meets the, uh, Malin fe- meets the goth girl. Maybe you can call that unnecessary. But I think it was actually kind of necessary to show that he is just murderous. He is, even though he has a motivation and he has a, he has a real motive based on his past, he is also a complete psycho and will just kill someone who might might have even been an allies um, kill them with and blow up their head without a second thought. So I think we did really need to see the the length that he would go to and what he would have done to Tony Stark if he could have. Uh, therefore, after some thorough analysis that I've been doing in my head throughout this episode, I have to give the writing a five as well. So Remzo, I'm giving this a perfect ten, and I think only one book have I one episode have I ever given something a perfect ten. It was also a recommendation from you. And that was Secret War, Nick Fury's Secret War. So uh, this is right up there in the uh, in the uh, comics second print comics history as one of only two perfect tens that I have given out. How is it looking from your end? I I gotta come to the same conclusion. I mean, the art was pristine. I uh, my my big criticism is can I see anybody else doing a better job on the story? And honestly, no. No. Uh, it's a shame because what I can say is that the Invincible Iron Man run after this story arc actually goes, in my opinion, downhill. I think the Iron Man series won't come back up into a point where I'm actually subscribing to it until Matt Fraction's run on Invincible Iron Man, which came about two years after this. In fact, this run and the new Invincible Iron Man run, because this turns into Iron Man Director Shield post the events of Civil War, they actually run at the same time. So as this series was ending, the new Invincible Iron Man series by Matt Fraction was coming in. It was good. It's not this good. Um, the art is 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 amazing. So I give it a five. Can't imagine anyone else is doing this, this. Was this the entirety of Warren Ellis's run on this book? I think he did the second volume, but it wasn't. But he didn't. He wasn't on the just, long haul for this one, huh? No, he was just meant to bring back the character. Um, well, he story, certainly did that. Yeah, I mean, story wise, my my biggest thing is: is this great for people who have never read Iron Man before, and is this great for people who have grown up reading Iron Man who really know the character. A plus is on both. Uh, the dialogue, the new characters, the exposition, the story flow. This is, the, in my opinion, the best Iron Man story you can ever read. I'm giving it a 5 out of 5 for a total score of 10 out of 10 to match you, Mark. 
Bam. So that is a Around the House Second Print Comics perfect score of 20. My friends, this is available on the Marvel Unlimited app. Even if you only did it for a month and paid $6.99, worth it. Worth it just for the story. I, I got this. Like, I've got some of the single issues, not the entire run, but I got the uh, the Marvel Select Edition with a lot of bonus Ooh, material in the fancy. back. I had, to, I had to have this. Sometimes it's worth doubling up if you have a few of the single issues to get it in a in a trade back and this is an example of like a hardcover graphic novel not very expensive at all a great story this might end up getting mailed to somebody who's a 25 dollar a month patron or higher at some point i don't know but this is one of those moments where it's like i i look at this and it's like it takes me back to my childhood and a decade and a half later i look at this and it's like man even we were making fun of the phones and tivo and maps like, dude, I can read this in there 10 years from now, and I'm going to love it just as much. For sure. No, I mean, even that stuff was just, you know, it gave us a chuckle. But uh, it doesn't really make it feel, I guess it feels slightly dated, but the story doesn't feel dated at all. At all. Um, yeah, I mean, you can just tell when it came out, basically. But, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's much else to say. This this is an amazing story, and this is this is, this is is a perfect story, as, as uh, dictated by our score. Absolutely. Well, folks, that's all I've got. Hey, I want to thank you again, our remarkable patrons. Uh, you keep this going. You keep us motivated. And if you want to join the fun in our group, we'll talk about this episode. Uh, we'll we'll see your scores. I love hearing the stuff that you guys do and don't like. It always surprises me. It's a great conversation. And uh, yeah, that's about it, Mark. That's all I got, too. As always, uh, they think the only thing we ever really ask of you guys, um, of course, you can always send us money, patreon.com slash secondprintpod. We appreciate all of the support out there. Uh, but otherwise, all we ask, just tell a friend. Tell a friend about the show. If you're at, the, if you're at your comic book shop, uh, just chatting somebody up, just say, hey, there's a new podcast I heard. It's awesome. It's called Second Print Comics. It'll change your life. Go check it out. Uh, or just leave us a five-star rating and a great review on Apple Podcasts. I say Apple Podcasts. We appreciate reviews anywhere. Apple Podcasts is probably has like 85 to 90% of the podcast market share. And they also, most other podcatchers pull from Apple Podcasts. So no matter where you listen, Apple reviews are going to help us a lot because it will help us rise in the algorithms across all of those different platforms. So that's why I always say Apple. Uh, but takes you no more than you know two minutes to leave a, leave a five-star review and a great rating for us. These are the simple, easy ways you can help us out. And of course, if you want to go beyond the simple Oh, it's still simple. It's still simple to join Patreon. Uh, you don't have to do much. You just click a couple buttons. But uh, if you want to do that too, patreon.com slash secondprintpod. Uh, we appreciate all of your support. Uh, without you guys, I can honestly say, oh, we'd probably be doing it. Mm, probably. But having this early support and having knowing that we don't have to worry about you know paying for our hosting, paying for our website, it's all being covered by our patrons. I mean, that's just huge. That takes such a, a relief off of us where we don't need to be stressing about money to be able to do this. And that alone is just a phenomenal gift. Absolutely. Well, as always, folks, I'm Remster W. Martinez. And I am the marvelous Claire. Read comics. Change, change the, world. the world. Good night, America. Adios. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today. 
and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save